This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing Warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pob, and with me, I have Mr. Val the Heffelfinger. The only level I'm on is my level. Peter the Falcon. Papu! That- <laughs> and finally, Mr. Sean Morgan. Hey. It's it's just me. I don't have like a cool intro this time. That you is a cool intro. I think of all podcast intros, we just nail it week in, week out. <laughs> just just friggin- the right combination of apathy and inanity. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Point to those fences and just crank the ball yard. That's Listen, what we I've been do. working on this falcon impression for weeks. Was I'm, that a I falcon? I, I think I nailed it. Oh, I thought you were some sort of like diseased laser gun. I think I think it goes blue steel. And then that Falcon impression, as far as <laughs> as far as things that have been veiled. Well, Val, one day maybe I'll shut myself in my room for a week and practice my podcast introduction. It's like the you. energy. It's the energy the the guests bring, Pablo. Like I mean, That's you true. Can't, you can't be prepared for it. It's just yeah. so high. So, speaking of energy that guests bring, did you check out in the finest hour episode number fourteen, Ladies' Night? Miss Eleanor Byler and Jessica Bowman were on mm-hmm. the podcast with Shaylin. This is a good time for you ladies talking 40K tactics and such. Uh, Sean and Josh, I'd like to say that they were not allowed on the podcast with a big tent sign that said no boys, but they probably just were really busy. No, that was that was pretty much how it was, actually. Uh, we got we get kicked off the podcast we, for a week that's good that's great so check that out if you want to listen to that if you want to get out get in your in the finest hour goodness uh, also another announcement slash i guess gush uh i don't like i don't usually talk about pop culture stuff on this show i like to keep it very 40k friendly uh but the umbrella academy on netflix is such a good show i've been watching it with my wife it is amazing if you have not checked it out check it out I feel like all the characters are really real, and I've just been nonstop. Can't get enough of it. I know Peter watches it, too, or says he watched it. Yes, and, and I collected all the comics back in the day, although the, I haven't collected <laughs> the new series yet. So, yeah, I'm mm. a big fan. Super, super good. So, uh, won't ruin anything about it at all. Just watch it. It's great. The Umbrella Academy. 
All right, another announcement. Patrons still get early access to the Jeff, Brandon, and Mike Snyder, Brandon Grant and Michael Snyder LVO recap episode. Uh, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about the RLVO experience, kind of what it takes to make the top eight, uh, and then uh, what Brandon and Jeff and Michael are going to be running for their 2019 season. Um, there's also some other stuff that Jeff kind of dropped some bombs, if you will, uh, about the future of 40k because he is if you know as you know he is a playtester um so it's definitely worth signing up to get that early listen up on patreon uh i will be posting it soon i i plan on posting it before march so i have a wedding coming up the first weekend of march so it'll probably come up this week um maybe thursday or wednesday so look forward to that though if you cannot absolutely wait it's been on patreon for over a week now or about a week now about a week now and then finally, just before, Patreon, be- before you get on, uh, move on from that. I'm so pleased that uh, that Brandon has embraced the 40k media circuit as a degenerate podcast listener. I've gotten <laughs> to hear him explain his his LVO experience from <laughs> probably a half dozen different angles at this point. So it's been really really cool, and he is just a very insightful guy. I know you guys like to call him a robot and such, but uh, I don't know. I think he's got some really really great. Um, Wise in, in uh, wise words that extend beyond the tabletop. So any place you can hear him talk about his experience, I think is a is a good listen. He truly agree, is yeah. a forty k philosopher in my mind. Like he's our Socrates for sure. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Stoic. Absolutely, gentlemanly, stoic, honorable. Um, all words I'd use to describe him. Uh, and I, I like. I also love how he's embraced being on Twitch. You know, he he will posture and make jokes just for Twitch chats. <laughs> and, you know, he, he'll he go a little extra, you know, dr- dramatic flares into his roles. He'll wait on very important dice roll. It's just it's really nice to, you know, seeing him evolve as a both as a person and as a 40K player, because I've known him for, for years down here in San Diego um, when I started playing 40K like five, six years ago. Uh, and he, he was he's always been the that guy. He's always been Brandon, but he's definitely flourished. Uh, it's really cool. And then finally. Uh, I'm going to be giving away one Forge World Sanguinius model oh, this week to one lucky standard patron. It's going to happen this week. At the end of the week, I'm going to be announcing it on Monday uh, after after the weekend is over when I get back. So if you want to sign up, go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics. Get that awesome Forge World Sanguinius model right, with right his now. base. Let's add a little spice to this. Right now, what are your odds of winning Sanguinius? Uh, it's it's better better than winning the LVO. So I'll say that. <laughs> well, just just, uh, but, just say it, man, because this is going to get uh, people so, coming. So uh, this is actually a good a good um, way to plug something else too. So right now you have a one in sixty nine one seventy chance of winning the Sanguinius model, which is nice. very very good odds. Uh, also, if we hit two hundred patrons, which I I actually didn't think we'd even hit fifty at all in the first couple of weeks, but we're already at 65 with a couple people pending. Uh, so if we hit 200 patrons, I set a goal to start putting money aside every month to fly a co-host out to an event. Uh, I don't know which event I, I don't, I don't want it to be like a huge major event. I want it to be kind of like a, so like a birthday like a Dallas open like type. We, deal. Mm, well, like we'll, we'll have to show up birthdays. Yeah, <laughs> sure. A, a birthday party, maybe. Uh, yeah. But I, 
I've I've calculated it out so that when I hit 200 patrons, uh, I think I will be able to set enough money aside to fly and ho- room and board one of the co-hosts or myself. Uh, I'll let you guys decide two tournaments, and then when they come back, we'll talk about the tournament. We'll talk about uh, their experience, who they played, their games, if they even played, or if, you know what you know some tournament coverage stuff there. Um, I think it's important to get more on-hand tournament coverage. And unfortunately, it's just very hard to travel to every event. You know, we can't all be Josh yeah. Death. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I, I figured I would use that kind of the Patreon money for that. And that's always been one of my big goals is to start a Patreon and make enough money to help co-hosts or, or people go out to other events and and experience new tournaments. Because that's kind of how I caught the bug, right? Traveling and going to tournaments. So, 200 patrons, tell your friends. It's only $5 a month to become a standard patron. You don't have to do give $5 a month. If you just want to give $1 a month, if you just want to support us, go ahead and go to chaptertactics.com slash Patreon. All right, on to tournament coverage. We had three, or we have three events that we're going to be talking about. Uh, two majors and one GT. The Prague Open happened this weekend in Prague. Last uh, weekend, but still, yeah. Oh, last weekend, but it ended before we could talk about it, I think, we recorded it. Uh, yeah. Anyways, the the Prague Open happened this past, uh, last weekend. Um, it was an ETC, I don't want to say ETC, it was kind of an ETC style event, right? With the chapter approved missions with the six Maelstrom car- cards that you take out of your deck. Uh, yes. So that was kind of the format. Um, Just I, different scoring. They scored, yes. uh, you could score a maximum of 12 points between the two players, um, the player that scored the most primary objective points got six points. The, pers- the player that scored the most secondary objective got four. And tertiary objectives, uh, so like Slay the Warlord, um, Linebreaker, etc., scored two points towards their total at the end of the game. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, it, I don't. I don't know what the. I don't know if the ETC is going to change their their format this year um i know they usually tweak it a little bit every year but they mostly keep it the same and, and i don't know why the european the etc scene is so in love with the maelstrom missions and chapter the chapter approved missions um do you guys have you guys well, played you're gonna maelstrom? find out yeah they're gonna oh, they're, after that they'd... comment no, <laughs> yeah oh yeah they'll uh, tell me uh, the if, if i were to uh, if i were to if I were to guess based on everyone else I've ever met who likes the Maelstrom missions is because they are quote, very tactical unquote. <laughs> um, they are uh, finalizing the ETC pack. I think kind of as we speak, it should be out soonish. Um, once that final pack is, is available. I think it usually goes up on glasshammergaming.com. Um, and uh, I know cause we have the can hammer team tournament coming up in May. Um, so I know we're all waiting with our teams, uh, getting ready for that format. So ETC should get to sort of a, a direction very soon. But I think one of the ways they, I'm, this might be pure rumor or gossip, but I'm pretty sure, and they did this maybe at Prague where they actually, um, allow you to remove six cards from your deck for Maelstrom. Yeah, that's from the yeah. chapter approved, uh, 2018. There's a, a rule where you can do that, um, called refined strategy something like that um which they did use at the Prague open so there's some cool innovations there that i hopefully will take a little bit of the random edge off as a, a guy who suffered at the hands of priority orders received at least three times <laughs> <laughs> and converted each time because i'm a fantastic defensive player mm. but anyway <laughs> i believe you thank hey. you and and it it is kind of cool to see GW evolving 
with with their missions and i definitely want to see more of it um i do wish that as a community we would we would kind of come up with a standard mission set which i'm sure a ton of people also want uh but anyways, I, I unfortunately don't have enough experience with Maelstrom missions. I've been playing ITC missions. It's, you could say that I bleed ITC. There's, <laughs> so th- there's one organization that has a chance at creating a pack that everyone follows. Do they start with G? Yeah, it's Games Workshop. And, okay. Uh, so far, they've refused. They've. It's interesting to me that they've um, refused to do it. Um, and uh, well, not necessarily well, refused. Chosen I mean, not to do it. Well, they they, they did they, release their own yeah. thing, but it's just. People don't think it's competitive enough without. Yeah, a that's lot of the problem. Like right? they, so. they did make a mission pack. It's just we don't like it because it gets better than before, but it still has a lot of problems. It's still, it's still being as many things to the most amount of people. It's not a true competitive yeah. tournament pack. Which if they wanted to, they could do. And I think maybe it speaks to the fact that you know they've kind of they've got a really big 10 philosophy a lot of the playtesters are are organizers and they seem to as a strategy want to keep that that regional flair and taste and all the various you know subgenres of competitive 40k alive because honestly mm. i think if 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 they created a you know a real competitive pack i think people would start to use it yeah but maybe absolutely. that's just my my theory possibly I- uh, I mean, in past years, like when they back when they ran Ard Boys, that was nominally their competitive pack. No one used it, not a single person. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I I get the feeling that they they just don't they they don't want to you know kick the hornet's nest. It, you know, they want to keep everything really simple. Um, but anyways, moving on to the Prague Open. Uh, I I'm so I'm looking at these names. And I'm going to butcher some of these names. Uh, congratulations to Manuel W. Coming in <laughs> first place with... Uh, and you, you say it's an Imperium list, but it, it's really like a, a really interesting guard list with Imperial Knights. Um, it, it's actually a really, really interesting list. Um, so interesting, in fact, that... How many Chimeras were there at the Las Vegas Open, Peter? Oh, uh, I can get that data for you, but it wasn't many. It was like 12. <laughs> Well, yeah. this guy ran half the chimeras at the Las Vegas Open. Oh, he had five chimeras. Um, so, uh, you know, okay, so he had, let me just go through the list and you guys can make your own ideas about it. But so he had a, a, a battalion with a company commander, a tank commander uh, with a punisher, and then one, two, three, four infantry squads, five chimeras, a house hawk shroud with two armager warglaives. And then a Knight Crusader, so he left the Castellan at home. Uh, and then a an Emperor Emperor's Fist tank company with a company commander, another tank commander, with a battle cannon tank commander, and then another battle tank battle cannon tank commander. Yeah, and that's instead of Talarn, for which was the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah in Katachan instead of Talarn, and that's that's it. Uh, yeah, and he this guy went undefeated. Um, I think I believe it was five rounds. So I believe he got max points with sixty battle points. Uh, so I, I don't know why is this list absolutely dominating? You know this meta. It may have something to do with the other lists. I didn't get a chance to look through the the totality of what showed up in any sort of reasonable man- manner. But he's bringing a lot of armor to the table. Um, starting out, he doesn't have a single infantry target on the board, period. Um, mm-hmm. 
So he can definitely make it very hard to get any kills off him while still being very mobile and able to get onto objectives. And in a Maelstrom game, that's what you want. Um, hmm. Denying kills while holding objectives is what you're going to do in Maelstrom. And I think that's the big thing is is the objective because he, he moves so fast. Even if he goes up against something that's going to be killing those uh, chimeras or, like quite quickly, like uh, some kind of castellan list, there's still the guys inside that then just hop out and sit on that objective and score him points, right? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, and in a game that's that's not necessarily kill point based, unless you that happens to be the cards you draw for your maelstrom objectives. Like that's well worth it. Um, you might give up uh, your the first kill out of your primary objectives. Um, but that would be about it. And given that he he did um, twelve zero every player that he played against in a five round tournament, it I it looks like he didn't that didn't happen to him. So yeah, and yeah, that's an important thing to remember. And the distinction between this format and ITC is an ITC kills are always relevant in a Maelstrom slash uh, other missions like this. It may be that kills barely matter, if at all. Uh, so that's a really big difference. Depending on what you draw. Yeah, for cards. Sure. For sure. But even in a worst case scenario, there are only like, what, six to eight kill cards in the whole Maelstrom deck? Yeah. Uh, and many of them are conditional on particular types of units, which he just doesn't have some of. No Psykers, for example. Um, for me, the most interesting thing is actually the choice of House Hawk Shroud. Um I would be curious at the rationale behind that, because he has the Crusader, which seems like it might make Crast or whatnot uh, an obvious choice. And he's got Warglaves, which actually benefit a lot from Raven. Uh, they really like getting to move forward and still shoot all their guns. Um, but House Hawkshroud is a choice, denies him access to a number of the really good stratagems that you would otherwise have from being a Mechanicus House. Um, and really all it does is ensure that his Crusader is functioning at full efficiency without having to spend CP. Oh, I suppose it also gives him the counter Yeah, it, it might be, no, correct me if I'm wrong, the Hawkshroud stratagem is the one where you get to heroically intervene. Yeah, you, you can fire Overwatch in the same fashion as Tau, uh, supporting a nearby unit, and then you can try and heroically intervene 2d6, which does so, give so you that might, extra melee. Yeah, it might be just because to make the Warglaves war even more mobile. So, like, if you look at his list, there's not, other than the Chimeras, which which I guess I guess can be kind of mobile in the Company Commanders, but the Warglaves can actually yeah. move out there and, you know, contest something and kill something. I don't know. Um, it's, it's an interesting, interesting. choice, I mean, yeah. He, he did really well. Uh, I I would imagine that that this guy could come out to an ETC or not not an ETC an ITC event out here in the states um, with a different but similar list and still go four and two or five and one at a six round event. Um, oh sure, so, you, you know he's on to something. Yeah, it's it's not to say that it's bad. I'm just curious about the rationale behind it and what yeah. sort of role he sees it running. So in second place we had a similar list, um, a Matthias er Erhart. Earhart, um, yes. Earhart. Matthias Earhart. Matthias Earhart. Whose uh, nickname is the one that's hard to spell to pronounce. Ingleshobshen. Uh, yeah. I gave up, butchered that completely. Uh, so he had a Talern battalion with a company commander, two primary psychers, three infantry squads, six chimeras, a commissar, two wyverns, and then he had a Katachan battalion with a company commander, a primary psyker, three more infantry squads, three Hellhounds, and finally, a Blood Angels Battalion with uh, kind of like your Blood Angels Loyal 18, mm -hmm. three, three Smash Captains, and 15 Scouts. 
and that's that's it. That's his and, entire. And you mentioned oh. the six chimeras, right? Yeah. Yes, I mentioned so, I mentioned the six yeah, chimeras. Sorry, I missed it. Between the two of them, they had more than were at LVO combined because LVO <laughs> only had eight chimeras. I looked it up. Yikes! <laughs> eight chimeras and five lists. So between these two, they 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 beat out the other six hundred and ninety people at another <laughs> event. Six hundred and sixty. So yeah, uh, so chimeras they're cheap. They're they're very very cheap um, for what they do, yeah. uh, and you know the, do, you, do you really feel good shooting at a chimera and killing it? Really? Well, and and a really important thing to think about when you compare the the chimera, especially its current price, to a lot of other vehicles, you're paying five points more than a rhino. You get two more transport capacity and also like four to five times as many guns. Because you've got two las gun arrays, and then your turret and your hull weapon, uh, so you're putting out an easy twelve shots a turn at twenty four inches. More if you bolted a gun on top, like most of these guys did, um, instead of just like one or two storm bolters. Mm-hmm. Like a chimera is a legit threat to a lot of infantry. Yeah, yeah, especially especially in a guard heavy meta, and and um, I'd imagine they even. Chimera's just running up to like a horde, like a two hundred plague bearers or something might might have a better time with the chimeras than than let's say like something else. I don't know. Oh, well, especially concert. against like plague bears or something. If they don't have the poop tree with them, then you just lock them in combat and they never get to do anything. Yeah, because those plague bears sure aren't going to kill a chimera anytime soon. <laughs> no, not not at all. Uh, okay, and then rounding out our top three was Bernard Lang um, with a Tau army which is pretty cool kind of a uh semi-unique tower army. I'll let sean decide that actually uh, so he had a tau battalion with a commander with an enforcer battle suit and three cyclic ion blasters a cadre fireblade an ethereal three strike teams a unit of two six, crisis suits six crisis six? suits yeah with you can't have two plasma and missile pods yeah, with a mix of plasma hmm. missile pods. The plasma um, is what's like, interesting to me. The missile pods, eh, like you see more cyclic ion blasters on the side, but there's a like he has a lot of plasma in this uh, in this unit. And then four shield drones on top of that. Yeah, that crisis unit definitely sticks out as weird to me. Um, plasma is not terrible now, just because it is so cheap. Um, but the mix of plasma and missile especially, uh, feels like, I don't know, I'm not sure how he's using that. He's presumably deep striking it in, but I'm not sure what his target would be for it. Like, what he thinks it's going after. Uh, and then to round out the list, he had a large unit of marker drones, two riptides, 12 tactical drones. Uh, and then in a second battalion, battalion detachment, another enforcer commander, two strike, a dark strider, two strike teams, a unit of ten crew, and in the last detachment, a, another enforcer commander suit with three farsight marksmen. And that's the list. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, all the tactical, um, the tactical drones were were four shield drones and two marker drones. Yeah, he's got so, the the mixes like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's like sixty drones. The one other interesting point, his Riptides are actually running Fusion Blasters as their secondary weapons, which mm-hmm. I am yeah. not a fan of. Uh, I just I think the SMS is too valuable. But I guess 
He's running with velocity trackers, so that gives him something of a solution for airplanes and some of the other stuff, perhaps. Um, it's it's an interesting choice. Well, Sean, SMS doesn't kill chimeras, and clearly yeah. chimeras were the unit to beat here in this tournament. Clearly, although I would argue that burst plasma and uh, missile pods do kill chimeras. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what it, what I do enjoy about this list, and and like even the the LVO list that you saw having success is that it's kind of going off script for Tau and bringing a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the Tau list building technique has been to just double down on a particular strength, whether that's broadsides or riptides or a combination of those two things, Shadow Sun, that kind of stuff. Um, whereas, you know, like you had the VR Law detachment uh, in that LVO list that, that made top eight, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I'm just it's just interesting that they're you know clear that this is a very seems a bit scattershot, but you know they're they're toolsy lists that that can do things to a bunch of different targets rather than just having one strength profile that you kind of have your trick and if it's beaten, it's beaten. Yeah. yeah. And to be fair, they're also playing to a meta that we're not fully immersed in. So for all we know, this is the shit to run against what they play against regularly, right? So. Yeah. Uh, but I think it is worth noting that, like, for all of the differences this does have, like, you'll recognize pretty much all of the units in this list from every other Tau army you've seen. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's he's really got three Firesight Marks, man. He's got... That's different. Yeah, the, the Crisis Bomb and, you know, a couple of his other small choices, but um, the components are all the same. It's like just like Legos. It's like you're putting them together in slightly different ways, which I think is a big strength of the Tau army. One thing I was talking about with Paul McKelvey from Best Coast Pairings, a, a Tau player who's been playing Tau forever, um, is we both kind of like how every Tau player now with the Tau Codex kind of cater it to themselves and kind of make mm -hmm. it more unique. Uh, whereas before, you, you either were running the, the giant Forge World plane or just losing all your games. Yeah. Um, so The chapter proof and the, the Codex plane. have definitely been... I, I think you're talking about the Tiger Shark yeah yeah oh yeah uh but yeah like i think chapter approved and some of the other stuff has been good to tau in general um it's given them a few more options and they just they have a lot of stuff that is somewhere between decent and great yeah uh so that that rounds out our top three uh i do want to give a special shout out to the names of some of these <laughs> players specifically to riot injuro and Mad Mo. Uh there were there were definitely nicknames were out in force, um, on tops yeah. of on top of also names that I can't pronounce. And it made uh, it super easy well, for me to input all this data, by the way, by everybody <laughs> having both a nickname and their real name on on the lists and in Tourney Keeper. Really <laughs> just the easiest time I've ever had in putting data into my website. So thanks guys. Uh, and then uh finally shout out to Mr. Lawrence Baker. Uh, making the top 10 of Tabletop Tactics. All yeah. right. Uh, let's go ahead and move out to the Barry Bash uh, up in Canada. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's the pause there. <laughs> I had it written down, but um, it looks like it got deleted uh, where exactly it was. I, I didn't want to say I didn't want to say a city name and be completely 100% wrong. Uh, however, congratulations. Kudos, kudos to you for saying Barry. 
Oh, instead of Bari? <laughs> instead of Bari. I literally have Bari. messaged Reese every single every single year and been like, it's not Bari. Although it is spelled Bari. <laughs> uh, so congratulations to Mr. TJ Lanigan um, getting first place, being the only undefeated player at the the Bari bash. <laughs> no, not like this. <laughs> uh, the beautiful uh, metropolis of Bari. Mm-hmm. He he had uh he was running a chaos soup list um with a chaos undivided uh, detachment with change caster poxbringer sloppy biopapper uh thirty pink horrors and then sixty ish plague bears I think a little under sixty plague bears a supreme command supreme command detachment of thousand suns uh, with Armon and two demon princesses each and then finally a death guard vanguard detachment with a demon prince of Nurgle and a maximum number of blight. Lord Terminators to and two foul blight spawn. Um, a a very kind of I don't want to say it's a it's kind of I don't want to say it's like a like a cookie cutter chaos list because it's not because most of them mm. aren't. Um, but none, none of those units surprise me anymore. The blight Lord Terminators make a lot of sense. They they stick around the board. It looks like it's just a very very good list. Well, he's basically he's got something that a lot of players of chaos players have kind of stumbled on at this point which is you bring a couple blobs of infantry to hold the table some smites to put pressure on the opponent and then like a deep striking unit to drop in and cause trouble and a counter charge unit to screw up anything that tries to get stuck in with your screens uh and it's a pretty successful format overall um He's running a slightly smaller Blightlord Terminator bomb than most people do. He's only got eight rather than ten, but eight Blightlord Terminators is still a lot to chew through. Yeah, and they got even better with the uh, Beta Bolter rule, which was in play at Barry, right? It's true. So, so mm-hmm. now they have a uh, 24-inch uh, range shooting all four shots with their combi bolters, yeah. which, uh, you know, it's, isn't something, it's not something you, you, can, uh, you can just sneeze at any longer. So. Yep. Because, yeah, that's a lot of strength four shots coming out every turn. Yeah, even on deep strike, so. Yep. Speaking of rules that just came out that were not at the Las Vegas Open, Dustin Henshaw run one with Gene Steeler Colt. Uh, I didn't I didn't think their Gene Steeler Colt codexes would be allowed, um, because the, I believe the codex was released two weeks before the Berry Bash, correct? Which, which is... Uh, Usually the cutout for most large tournaments is 30 days. And obviously there's nothing wrong with, with you know, wherever you put out your cutout date. That's just a fact. Um, but anyways, uh, we wouldn't have a Gene Circle t- codex to talk about if that wasn't the case. So Mr. Dustin was running a battalion detachment with an Abominant and a Primus and three units of Acolyte hybrids, one unit of nine and two units of five. Uh, some, uh, they're some they're ab- not fives. They're, they're all ten mans. Um Two of them are running quad heavy oh, rock saws. The other run is one is running ten hand flamers. Yeah, okay. the the formatting okay. is a little weird on that one. It took me a second to pick up on as well. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, for you get ten acolyte hybrids for one hundred and twenty ish points. Yes, now that's really good. There, it's and each of those rock saw guys is getting a pile of really dangerous attacks. 
decks, yeah, they will chew stuff what, to pieces. Plus one to wound and hitting on twos with Deliverance Brood Surge if you set it up right? Something like that? Um, so yeah, because if he's got the, the Primus in range and everything else going yeah. off, uh, then yeah, they're you know wounding anything on the game on fours at the worst and often threes or twos. Yeah, they're monsters. It's uh, like they're made of paper, but they're disgustingly uh, strong. If they yeah, can yeah. which they do pretty easily with uh, all of the gene stealer cult rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and then his unit of aberrance is kind of strange. It's a small unit of aberrance of only five models. Yeah, uh, with four power picks. Um, so you no hammers, none of the crazy stuff. Uh, yeah, um, four picks and one of the the stop sign. Oh yeah, which, yeah, the stop sign. Uh, you know, four to one is your usual ratio there. Uh, but I, I was kind of surprised I didn't see any hammers. Um, but then again, I don't actually see very many people running them. It's usually just picks really? and stop signs. Yeah, because uh, the pick gets you lots of attacks with a decent damage, and if you throw all the buffs onto them, you can get them up to strength seven or eight. Uh, and then the stop sign is just really, really strong. Yeah, down here I, I usually just see hammers and usually two stop signs and really large units of aberrants. Huh. Uh, and then so we've got another a brigade. With a Jackal Alphys, a Magus, and a Patriarch. And, and this one, one is of... Rusted Claw, for reference. The other one was Twisted Helix. Yeah, the other one was Twisted Helix. This one's Rusted Claw. Uh, and then a unit of Aquila Hybrids, and then five units of Neophyte Hybrids, minimum minimum mm-hmm. Neophyte Hybrids, a Keller Morph, a Locus, a Sanctus, and then a bunch of Atalon Jackals. Yep, three uh, units of demolition five. demolition charges. Demos on everybody. Uh, and then three Mortar Heavy Weapon Teams, and a patrol attachment with another Magus. Actually, I think that's his only Magus. No, he's got another he Magus. Another, and, he has another one in the brigade. And even more Acolyte hybrids. And that, uh, that's the list. And the I'm assuming that the Magus in the uh, patrol is in order to get access to the other Warlord trait through him. It doesn't actually list what cult he's from. Uh, but I'm presuming he's there to take that trait. Yeah. Uh, so, all in all, uh, I, I don't want to say typical Gene Slayer cult list, because I don't know what that looks like right now. Exactly. Um, yeah. But nothing too surprising, I think. Well, there's, there's a uh, lot of good stuff in that book, so, like, there's a lot of things that you're going to see. It's really, it's like a lot of the other Gene Slayer cults in that it is a toolbox full of useful units you can just pop out and ruin someone's day with. Uh, but the choices of which ones they take are are kind of where the variance is at. One thing I'd like to shout out here is that um, Dustin went, uh, he came out of the gates with an L and then went five five in a row to get to a five and one score. And he got best overall for the tournament, mm-hmm. um, which I assume must have included a good paint score. And like a third of this list hasn't been available for like <laughs> for more than a couple of days. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, he must have really busted his ass to get a bunch of that finished. Or there's a lot of uh, heavy conversion work that's been done, but either way. Uh, or or people in Canada just can't paint their armies. Ooh. Whoa. Pablo. <laughs> I mean, Pablo. it's not, he's not wrong. <laughs> says says the guy who, who easy, once easy painted warp a Granite Strike Squad. <laughs> oh, oh no. Low blows. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, moving on to Mr. Devin Swan, mm-hmm. a really good Tau player out of Canada. Running a Tau, obviously. Um, two with a battalion Tau, uh, Sa, Sasia, Sasia Sept, with two Cadre Fireblades, three Fire Warriors, a Vanguard attachment with a commander in an Enforcer battlesuit, uh, two Riptides, three Farsight mark, Marksmen, and then finally a Spearhead detachment 
with an ethereal, um, a whole bunch of shield drones, broadsides, and then a whole bunch more sniper drones. 18, I believe. The maximum sniper drones. Or 27. Units of nine. Yeah. Three, three by nine. It's... This, is a, this is a version of a, of a Talus that, that Devin has been just beating up on fools uh, locally uh, for, for, uh, for in the recent history. And um, oh, a couple of interesting things in it, I think. One, he didn't take Shadow Sun, which I think... What do you think about that, Sean? Um, I can see the argument for it. Um, Shadow Sun really does kind of lock your list into a fairly static deployment. And one of the advantages that his version of the list has is that the sniper drones and riptides are all 100% mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, so he can shift around, get objectives, do what he needs to do. Um, but I'm not sure it's necessarily worth losing that option because there are some matchups where getting to drop a Kalyun twice will just win you the game. Um, especially with the rulings we've been seeing from some of the tournaments where you can choose on a unit-by-unit basis whether they are affected by the Kalyun or not. You can do it even if you have one unit locked in combat and just have them pull out and everyone else stay in place. Um, that's that's one one tournament. It just happened to be the LVO. I think, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've seen it just that. Happened rule. to be the biggest one. I just I haven't it, it seen counts that for a lot when LVO one. says it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, just the DACA coming out of this list, and uh, yeah, like I mean, Shadowson just gives you, I think, increases your mobility because it allows you to Monka if you want to first turn or in a, in a subsequent. Well, yeah, I guess in a in a subsequent turn, um, mm-hmm. or do the double Kayun. You don't necessarily have to stand and shoot, and like just the rerolling hits. I guess you want rerolling wounds with the sniper drones, not hits, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, this, this list is just brutal. Well, and the other thing to remember is with those sniper drones is as we see orcs and Gene Steeler cult mm-hmm. rising to prominence, as well as, you know, Yanari has been around since forever, characters are really, really important for a lot of lists. And having 27 rapid firing guns that can target characters is a real problem for a lot of armies. And, and, and potentially getting plus one to wound is... Uh, yes. Um, and well, that's the other secret is that those drones also kill Castellans. Um, yeah. Because if he, if he pops off all his buffs, then, you know, that's those set of drones will probably, you know, rip anywhere between 8 and 15 wounds off a Castellan in a single turn. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of the secret sauce to sniper weapons like like Space Marine Scouts, for example, with sniper rifles. Yeah. Uh, to beating lists like with the Castellan list is you just you put 40, 50 shots into it and do, you know, 30 wounds plus mm-hmm. with including mortal wounds. And then yeah. Castellan just can't make 20 saves. Well, and, and the sniper drones have the additional advantage of being innately strength five. So they're wounding on fives rather than sixes uh, like most other sniper deal. weapons. Yeah, so you're forcing a lot of three-up saves and then also ticking a lot of mortal wounds off of them. Yeah, uh, and then finally, I want to give a shout-out to both my boy Jeff Brown for making the top five and uh, Mr. Jim Vessel for having the highest strength of schedule in the top 25. Yeah. Um, Jim, uh, I'll let you guys tell the story, but Jim, uh, I guess, had a really hard road to the top. Yeah, and, Jim uh, lost uh, Jim lost on the, on the top table after... Um, I guess beating it lost on the top table by one point to TJ Lanigan. Oof. Um, after, uh, after beating his way through, I think probably some of the toughest competition available at that tournament. So it was just an outstanding showing for him. Um, guys like Jason Sparks, who, um, had a really good international ITC score last year 
I'm sorry, mm-hmm. the year before last. Um, Devin Swan, who we were just talking to, his only loss was against Jim. Um, my, uh, my my own local hero, my Warhammer wife, Conrad Motika, also went <laughs> in hard to, against Jim. So, yeah, like he, he had a real tough road, and he almost almost got his GT. He was really, really close. Yeah. He was almost our Laura Secord, uh, stopping that American invasion by TJ Lanigan, but he <laughs> failed. Yeah, and, jo- uh, Josh know. Death. Josh Death swooped in last year and won this thing. This year, TJ yeah. wins. We're just we're, we've got. I don't some, know what to think. Like, it's not cool. Where man. is our Laura Secord? <laughs> Who's going to make us such delicious ice cream? <laughs> Laura, You're new American home. overlords. That's who. La- Laura Secord is kind of our. Uh, Who's the guy who rides rides through the, the the village and says the British are coming? Paul Paul Revere. Paul Revere. Paul Revere. She's or Paul Bunyan. Kind of like I don't Revere. know one of those. Yeah, one of those Pauls. <laughs> yeah, probably later, the same guy. Actually, he, he later started BCP. I think I don't know. Yeah, Paul Paul Revere didn't start an amazing ice cream company um, after after he saved uh, the United States, though. Oh, Unlike, he actually did. Uh, it's oh, not shit. commonly known. Yeah, well, just Laura American Secord trivia. Is everywhere. It's revered locally. <laughs> Mm. Uh, and then finally uh we'll talk about the wheat city gt real quick uh peter the falcons got the buzz on that oh what do you want me to say wheat city gt happened uh last weekend not well the weekend before so the 16th um i believe they had just shy of 40 people uh, for a five-round event in beautiful brandon manitoba brandon Um, yeah. Really? So 40 you... people? First of all, first of all, guys, let's just pause here. Some more Canadian content for y'all at home. <laughs> Brandon is an intersection with a stop sign. That is, yeah. that is a sen- it, in, in, a, in the flattest terrain you could possibly imagine. It is, is, it's called the Wheat City because there <laughs> is more wheat there than there are, is people. Like, like, correct just, me if I'm wrong. That's 40, j- just shy of 40 people. That's like two thirds of the population of Manitoba, right? Damn, damn near it. Outside of Winnipeg, and Winnipeg is continually a popsicle, so it's really hard to say who's (laughs) actually alive in that city. Um, But yeah, it's um, so yeah, they they put out a pretty good showing. Let me just get the the full data here for you, right quick. So um, yeah, they had 38 players. Um, The winner was Ryan Mandrick playing a thousand suns list. Um, so this was the first tournament that that uh, first GT or major that allowed uh, beta bolter rules were in effect mm. for the tournament uh, after LVO. Um, and so Ryan ran a Chaos Demons uh, Chaos Undivided detachment with um, the Corn um, uh, Night Murderer, mm-hmm. uh, Poxbringer, twenty five Bloodletters, two units of Nurglings, a block of thirty Plague Bearers. He had a Thousand Sons uh, battalion with Ariman. Two Demon Princes of Zinch, two essentially minimum units of Chaos Cultists, and a, a block of thirty uh, Sangors, and then like the the big spice in his list that I I had seen him talking up for some time now um, is a block of uh, ten Scarab Occult Terminators, uh, fully kitted out with uh, two Hellfire missile racks in the works, hmm. and all bolters other than that. All bolters, yeah. Well, because the Hellfire yeah. missile racks are on top of the bolters, right? right? They're just, they're like a cyclone where you replace. stick them on top. They're not like the exactly. the soul burner where you have to replace for it. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, he talked up that uh, I saw him talking up the Scarab Echo uh, Terminators quite a bit prior to the tournament, and they definitely did work. I mean, forty strength four AP minus two shots on a Terminator body that's uh, much hard. Well, I shouldn't say much is harder to kill than your average Terminator. Um, Against uh, damage one uh, attacks, like yeah, he did. Yeah, work. 
Well, I it's the, it's easy I think to the moral forget. The story is if no. you want to find the chaos meta, you got to move on up to Canada, <laughs> where the winds of chaos are strong. That's because you guys just don't know what Nelf is yet. That's, Nelf? Oh, it's a, we did last year. We got over it. <laughs> really oh, you're six months ahead like, of us. That's what you're going to say. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're the new <laughs> ETC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, and then that's that's it for our tournament coverage. Uh, I think we'll we'll be seeing a lot more lists like the 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 chaos list we saw with the blocks of ten, nine, eight terminators mixed in with the, the hordes of chaos goodness. Um, I, I think it, it's really solid, especially with that new bolter drill. Um, I don't yeah. know if it's going to be something that that's actually going to be dominant one hundred percent. Well, the but, rough part for a list like that is coming up against, you know, the Gatling Knight, um, who will chew those guys apart pretty quickly. Um, so whether or not they will be able to solve that problem with stuff outside of their Terminators is going to be the big question for those kinds of armies. Hmm. And uh, speaking of, of those kinds of armies... Let's go ahead and move on to the faction power rankings. Uh, so Sean and I went ahead and ranked all... Well, I, I picked the 18 codexes, but I, I imagine... I, I wasn't very specific, so I imagine Sean might have done some factions. I think Inari are thrown in there as well. I had to count them. How can you not? Uh, I, I mean, I factored I the them 22. into my... The, tw- the full 22. Oh, mm-hmm. where's Sisters of Silence, Peter? Um, when they get their own codex and become a troop choice for Adeptus Custodes, as they should be, then um, I will put them probably somewhere near number one or two. Uh, so oh, we're we're gonna head we're gonna go ahead and um just just kind of list out the top tens. Um, I broke mine down into tiers. Uh, I have S tier, A tier, and B tier, and then everything below B tier is is a combination of C and B tier. <laughs> um, but uh, for those of you who may be unfamiliar with, with S, A, B, and C rankings, uh, basically S-tier factions or codexes are your best of the best, your top-tier competitive factions, or in, in my case, codexes, uh, that are, are maybe not guaranteed you to win, but you know we'll, we'll get you a high win percentage on average and are clearly better. Uh, A-tier are lists with a chance at winning large events like the Las Vegas Open. Uh, B or tier are kind of where your gatekeepers are slash, you know, noob killers. Uh, and then anything below that is just bad. Uh, sounds about <clears throat> right. Yeah. Uh, so my criteria for this were were basically uh, how good were their allies? How, how good are your faction's allies in general? How good is um, your single internal balance in, in your internal power level? So acting alone as a codex, uh, and then how good or how much of an impact you have on the meta, and then finally like a hype factor or how overrated and underrated the faction is. Uh, that that went in a, just a little bit, um, but it did help me for certain um, lists over others. Uh, specifically like Space Marines over Tau. I have Space Marines over Tau because I feel like a lot more people know about Tau and, and kind of like, maybe not, not gun for Tau, but they know how to play against Tau, whereas Space Marines kind of have like a, an interesting underrated level, so I kind of gave them a little edge over Tau in that way. That's that's an interesting choice that you think uh, Tau are more well-known than Space Marines. Well, it's just the Space Marine risk, like, like their meta impact, right? Like... The Tau sure. lists look more similar to me than the Space Marine lists, and they're actually, the, from the lists I was looking at, Space Marine lists are, are 
they do have access to all these allies, but there's a lot more pure space marine lists than all the other Imperium lists. Um, you know, mostly because of Bobby G and like brigades work really well with space marines. Yeah, uh, sure, I but, get it. It's just it's yeah. an interesting thing to have uh ha- have you saying that you know tower more popular than space marines oh m- more uh, more planned I, I, for i guess I, yeah i, guess I, I get it say. yeah yeah it, it is it is kind of interesting um it, so so anyway so l- uh, let's go ahead i'm gonna go ahead and start with my top five uh so for number one um was really torn but i decided to go with dark eldar mm-hmm. for my number one uh number two i went with imperial guard uh, number three i went with craftworld eldar Four Imperial Knights and five rounding out the top five. Gene Steeler Colt. Do you want to talk a little bit about why you you ranked them kind of as you did there, or do you just want to go yeah. through the numbers? So, um, I mean, just real quick, I, I basically I, I picked Gene Steeler Colt. I imagine Gene Steeler Colt will go higher, uh, and Knights will probably collapse out of the top ten um, in a few months. But right now, snapshot picture, I think Gene Steeler Colt are just a little too new um, to maybe go higher than top five. But I, I couldn't justify not putting them in S tier mm-hmm. just because of how good they look. Uh, and I picked dark Eldar just because I feel like they're the most well-rounded codex out of, out of everything, all of my criteria. They're just, they're just the best codex mm. in, in my opinion. Uh, Eldar are good. Um, but I, I, dark Eldar, I feel like they put up better numbers in the, in terms of winning wins as well, a pure codex. Yeah. The, the, the counter I, you know, I would be, and I used a slightly different system that I'll talk about in a second here, but if you are not including Yanari and you are rounding them into the other codices, um, I can't see ranking Dark Eldar above Eldar. Um, in my opinion, anyways, just because Yanari Eldar or Yanari craft worlds are so incredibly powerful. Okay. Um, uh, and then, so go ahead, let's go here. Let's hear your top five, Sean. Um, so I actually broke it to top six, um, which is essentially going to be the same as, uh, as, as Pablo's, uh, S tier here. Um, but I counted Yanari as a separate book. Uh, I think they are sufficiently dominant and play sufficiently differently than the other types of Eldar that you have to count them as their own thing. Um, and I put them at number one because I just think Yanari are so incredibly powerful right now. Um, arguably, they are not the best single list you can bring, but sort of in the whole scheme of things, they are probably the most powerful, in part because they're the most resistant to any changes you make. Um, we've seen them nerf El- Yanari multiple times before, and they're still in the game. Um, so I had to rank them at number one. Um, I put number two for Imperial Guard, actually. Um, they've been a consistent mainstay of every Imperial list. They have performed extremely well as a primary faction. And like Yanari, even if GW makes some significant changes to many different parts of the game, or if the ITC changes how scoring and whatnot work, Imperial Guard are still going to be seen at the top tables consistently. They just have too many tools to ignore. Um, For number three, I put Drukhari. I agree with pretty much everything Pablo said in terms of, like, they're an incredibly versatile codex. They have three entire, like, basically factions of their own under their umbrella, each of which is extremely powerful, um, and that's to say nothing of the kind of um, off-kilter versions that people are starting to bring. Um, 
that's just looking at you know the best of each of the three sub factions that you can get out of them um barely a hair below them i would say are craft worlds um craft worlds is an incredibly versatile codex full of really powerful units the only reason it isn't higher is because yanari is so incredibly good and you can combine them um you know we when you see people sort of like, well, why take Craft Worlds when you could take Yanari? You have to remember, among other things, that they're just giving up a, a minus one to hit on all of their units. Um, and that's not good enough. That's how good those books are. Um, after that, I put Orcs. Um, I think Orcs are much more powerful than people have really realized, despite their, you know, we say they did bad at the LVO because they didn't get into the top eight, but they had, what, like four different people go five and one, uh, something like that. There was a lot of really good players running orcs, and not like because they were just like out to fuck around, it's because they thought orcs were the best army you could build. Um, so I'm, I'm giving them a spot there as well, and rounding out my top six here is Gene Steeler Colts. Um, they may go up, as Pablo said. Uh, we have yet to see what their book can do in its entirety. There's still a lot to be discovered there, but even just seeing this initial wave of lists, it's clear they're going to be extremely powerful. Yeah. Uh, and then, so don't worry, guys. We're going to talk about at least our top 10 with, with maybe some honorable mentions thrown in there. Uh, and then Val put together a top 10 in 10 seconds, which I think Pablo. is a really great. I thought that, you know, I would need to speak from the place where I'm most confident, and that's my butt. Mm. So I'm gonna, <laughs> and that's where this list came from. And I am so, I feel so validated because um, me and Sean have excellent alignment with a lot of our picks. <laughs> um, so that's great. I, I mean, because you guys spoiled the lead, both of you did it, I'll, I'll do it too. So I'll, I'll go, my top pick, Yunari, I think that goes without saying, um, an army that can activate more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, they're probably going to be pretty good. Um, the uh, the other thing is I, I don't have Craft Worlds in my top my top six because, I'm gonna, again, Sean did six, so I'm going to do six. Maybe yeah, I'll do yeah. seven. Maybe I'll just Ooh. upstage. I'll do Whoa. seven. Look out. Ooh. Actually, seventh. I don't, I don't know about my seventh. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, I think uh, because my thinking was if it's Yanari, you know, Craft Worlds going to be lumped in there. I, I, I don't have Craft Worlds in my top six. That's because I assume they're just going to be your Nari. Um, I was also thinking of this in, in in one frame of reference. Like one of the only places where you're really power ranking books like this is actually when you're putting together a a team. You know, where you are limited to source codexes. Mm-hmm. So my main thinking was, you know, if if, if you're putting together an a, you know an eight man or a five man team, what books have to be on that team? Um, sure. So Yunari, probably Craft Worlds, um, going to be the number one thing. After that, Guard Player. Mm-hmm. Again, for all the obvious reasons, I think even just you could probably play a lot of matchups really well. Mono book with guard, yeah. um, they have overwhelming firepower, and in, in, in the realest sense, uh, they shoot better than you know the army that's supposed to shoot the best, Tau. Um, <laughs> and they have an incredibly deep range. Like they're they're just you know you can pull from all sorts of different sources to get all kinds of weird jank. Uh, they're fantastic. Um, after them, I went Drukari. Um, they are, you know, you know, in the soup of Eldari, they are themselves have sort of a soup thing going on between, you know, Coven's Cabals and, um, Colts. oh crap. And, Witch Colts. And Witch Colts, thank you. Uh, 
Sorry, Sean Naden. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, there, and also, I mean, you just can't discount the fact that they're now one of two franchises that can, you know, counter a stratagem. Um, that's, that's a massive ability, even though if it's expensive, it's still huge. Um, and after this, I mean, I might be stupid for saying this, but Peter told me they were good four months ago, 1000 cents. And my thinking there is they're probably one of the key elements of most, and I think we saw it actually today when we were talking about chaos lists, they're going to be a key element in a lot of chaos lists. Um, and even the book itself has a lot of really good core items that you can build around and have a very good all round force. Um, but as far as sort of that, that meat and potatoes of chaos, thousand suns, I guess the flip side of that might be death guard, but I think one case suns probably have the edge there. Now I'm actually going to change my list because I'm going to put gene stealer cults next. Um, and the, <laughs> The reason why uh, uh, is a they have they, they have a deny stratagem so they they can they can stop you from from being able to do your tricks. They're incredibly good at anti character stuff, and they can draw from two other books that are very very good complements. Uh, one of which, of course, is Guard, and the other one is is uh, is Tyranids. So I think the 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 tools that are available to you as a as a Gene Steeler Cults player are, are phenomenal. And my last one uh, is is going to be orcs. And even you know, like thinking about the new meta we're in, and we talked a lot about snipers' ability to kill characters, um, just the ability for a lot of armies to just delete big swaths of units. Although I was very bullish on the orcs book, I think they've got some pretty significant meta headwinds coming against them right now. So I don't even know. I think this might be a fanboy pick, really. Um, they're going to be excellent in a lot of matchups, but I think they're going to be hard countered um, the more things go because you have hmm. now two factions that can stop a lot of their stratagem tricks because that's a big core strength of their book. So they got to go on the strength of their, of their, of their, you know, core rules or their their um, their faction rules and their character buffing. And characters are going to be an endangered species, I think, for for a little while. And yeah. orc characters are not uh, resilient in the least. Uh, most of the buffing characters are four wounds. Uh, Weird boys are four wounds. Big mechs are four wounds. Um, pain boys are four wounds. Um, they are squishy as hell, and uh, you know yeah. they will die very easily if anyone out there is is tech to beat them. So that right there, save does nothing for them. Does nothing for them. A lot of stuff, you know, is either dealing mortal wounds or it's uh, ignoring invulnerable saves. Because you know someone out there is always is going to be bringing two Vindicares, whether or not that's a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> so, you know, you take away stratagems and you take away uh, character buffs and you've got, you know, Index Orcs plus some Jazz. And uh, so I think that that will probably put a hard cap on how, how much they can do, unfortunately. Yeah. That's my doomsday scenario for Orcs, just being a realist. <clears throat> so since we're doing top sixes, I did have a sixth nope. faction in my S tier. Too bad. Mm. Throwing them, we're throwing them in here, um, and they're kind of like a dark horse S tier candidate because of what I saw out of the LVO, and that's Admech. So, Ooh. so Admech are already have already been kind of top ten, you know, worthy. I, I think I feel, um, even though you know they they did hit a bit of a slump, they've always just been a really solid codex. Um, but just looking at the two Admech players and watching them play the the list at the Las Vegas Open and just looking at where the meta is shifting right now. Admic have all the tools to shoot everything off the board that they need to. Um, they have the allies to to match anything and get the command points they need. Um, they've got solid characters. They still have access to knights, who I think are a really, really good faction. Um, and they will be even after the Castellan falls. 
Um, you know, I just I just think Admic are are a faction to watch out for. Uh, but they're like a dark horse S tier pick. Um, you know, I think realistically, well, I you, think you want some... dark horses in your S tier for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and uh, something that I would say personally, I don't know to what degree you guys uh, agree with me on this. Um, you know, we all kind of list off our S tier. We didn't really talk about like the A tier, which is kind of the, you know, also these can win major events. Um, even though those are the most powerful factions, the separation between S and A tier in a lot of cases is not that high. Um, there are six more factions that I think all have very reasonable shots at taking any given major. Yeah, so so let's go ahead and finish out rounding out our top ten. Um, so for my A tiers, which also rounds out my top ten, uh, after Admech, I have Chaos Demons, Orcs, hmm. Thousand Suns, and then Space Marines and Tau are, like I mentioned earlier, are fighting for that ninth and tenth spot. Um, so your top ten sounds Marines. a lot like a top twelve. Uh, <laughs> still, still a top ten. <laughs> It's American counting. They're bigger than other it's a, counting. <laughs> it's, a, it's actually a top 11. Uh, top but Space, 11. Marines okay. ta- okay. Space Marines and Tau are round out my A tier. Um, but yeah, no, so I think I think Chaos Demons um, are, are just get slightly the ed- get the slight edge over Orcs um, if you had to put them head to head. Just just because Chaos Demons, they're just, they're so good. And maybe I've seen too many Josh Death games played with the Chaos Demons, but the Chaos Demons just have so many so many bodies, fearless bodies that you need. They perform well in multiple, um, uh, I guess, tournament formats, so beyond ITC and ETC. They've always done really well in ETC and ITC uh, and any other formats. Um, like uh, They did well in Australia in that meta, um, whereas Orcs didn't do as well in Australia. Um, we don't know where Orcs are going to be, where their place is in the ETC, though I imagine they will have a place in the ETC. I would be uh, shocked if they didn't. Right. Uh, uh, and then obviously in the ITC, they're both equal. Um, I just think Chaos Demons, I think that codex is just a little more resilient than the Orc Codex, um, especially hmm. now. Uh, and the, the Demon Princes and the Psychic Powers that that codex gets is, are just absolutely crazy um, compared hmm. to what Orcs bring. That's just, just my just my opinion. That's interesting, because like, I actually kind of rank Chaos Demons kind of low, even though they have done well, because they're usually doing well off the back of like heavy ally components um and the chaos demon component itself is usually just like 60 plague bearers and then maybe 30 horrors or blood letters yeah but the same blood letters yeah but it's like it's it's one of a handful of troop choices um and you know they're not really like doing a lot their their job is just kind of to exist Mm. so so here's an interesting question then so in the Chaos Demon, Thousand Sun, Death Guard, Trifecta that mm-hmm. you see commonly, that you would rank Thousand Suns over Chaos Demons? I would say Thousand Suns are more important to that list working than the Chaos Demons are, because you can replace the Chaos Demons with almost anything else. You could bring in more Thousand Suns for Zangors and Cultists. You could bring in Chaos Space Marines for Cultists. You could switch those Plague Bearers for, you know, uh, just about anything else that is a Horde body. Um, mm. so I actually don't rank it as highly simply because it is replaceable. Interesting. Um, cause, cause when I think thousand suns, I think Aramon, demon prince, Zangar bomb, and that, that's it. That's, that's all it brings. Maybe sure. Magnus, uh, um, well, but, but Magnus is not a tier, I think anymore. Um, yeah, it's, but my, my point would be that like, do, does demons do 
you know, that job of putting up a wall better than the other codices? Yes. Um, but if you remove demons from the equation, like just like wave your magic wand and make it that codex disappear, the Thousand Suns plan is still viable. Whereas if you right. remove Thousand Suns from the equation, the demon plan is no longer viable. Hmm. That's a, that's an interesting thought because because you are right. I see where you're coming from. Um, but chaos demons still have access to demon princes. Oh sure, uh, it's, which it's, are not yeah. HQ choices. I think I think they're heavy supports. Nope, they're they're you're no, thinking they're sixth edition. Okay, uh, uh, they're HQs. Oh yeah, I'm thinking sixth edition. That was the last time I played a chaos list. Like, like right now, <laughs> chaos demons, and I agree with Sean. They weren't in my S or A, but no one apparently wants to hear my S tier. Um, anyway, oh, we gotta speak uh, up, pal. Oh, P- yeah. Peter. Uh, I believe PewDiePie that... gets in here. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> we talked but... about two Canadian tournaments, and this is the most Canadian moment. You're just sitting there. I I went on an impassioned speech about why uh, Jim Vessel, who I have said on multiple episodes is my Canadian hero, couldn't be my Laura Secord. Um, I thought I need my like my my vocal cords needed a break, but I'll speak <laughs> up now because you know Chaos Demons. I uh, am a hundred percent in agreement with Sean. I still rank them uh, around middle field, but it's it's because. The, they only really provide troops and demon princes. Um, most of the rest of that codex does nothing. Um, you see yeah. very rarely see you, – sometimes you'll see pr- plague drones. Uh, very rare now. Um, yeah, since but, they like, went up their price for no good reason. Exactly. Um, but other than that, yeah, I think the Thousand Suns is like the core of that chaos list because that's where you're getting the majority of your buffs. That's where you're getting all of your um, targeted smites, etc. Yeah, your firepower. Um, Exactly. So, so my S tier. I mean, in RA, we don't have to talk about it. Yeah. Because it's just it is. My second uh, spot was Drukari. Um, mm-hmm. I just feel like they provide. They have so much that they can do, even just by themselves. They're, yeah. um The stats kind of show it. They like even a mono codex Drukari just rip up the numbers. Um, mm-hmm. Then I put Gene Stealer cults because. Um, hmm. I've been looking at the lists that people are coming up with. They all scare the shit out of me, and maybe it's um, maybe it's part of uh, like a boogeyman. But I'm more scared of Gene Sealer cults than I was when I saw the Orc Codex. I, I felt with the mm, Orc Codex, fair. there was things that I was looking at where I was like, "Yeah, these things are super scary, and I'm, they're probably going to be competitive at first, but there's going to be ways around them." With Gene Stealer cults, you have a an army that can null deploy, and that alone is stupidly powerful in the right hands. And I think that's yeah. where it's going to come down is there's going to be a bunch of Gene Stealer cult players that are going to be uh, shit-ass garbage, and they're going to clock out because they don't know how to deploy their, their guys after they null deploy. But then you're going to get these really keen minds who are just going to play their mind games on you, and you're just going to be screwed right mm-hmm. from the get-go. Well, you can um, absolutely lose the game at deployment with any army, and with Gene Steeler Colt, it's only more likely that that will happen. Yeah. And then I put in Astro Militarum for all the same reasons everyone else has mentioned. They're like <laughs> the, the penultimate ally, and they can run by themselves if they need to. Um, they just have every tool other than really speed, and they can kind of do speed. They've got vultures and a couple other things, just not to the same degree as, say, Eldar. Um, and then the I put Imperial Knights. Troops, though, with, with move, move, move. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So you said Sorry. Imperial Knights. Uh, Imperial right Knights. Your top five. Yeah, and that's because even though they're kind of a, a gatekeeper army, okay. I feel like um, their win rates are just too extreme. Like they they sit at like a fifty-five to sixty percent. Sorry, Falcon's breaking up for me. Um, yeah. Uh, Val, you wanna you finish out your ten here? 
All good. Um, yeah, so uh, Let, unfortunately get... the Falcon got caught in an updraft there and he's <laughs> yeah. uh, been launched in outer space. Um, that's okay. Um, so for me, after we get past um, sort of orcs, uh, this is like you know this is usually where things get a bit more complimentary for me. So these are these are armies that don't necessarily stand on their own. Mm-hmm. As opposed to space marines, um, for my power armor pick, I went with Death Watch because uh, I don't mm. know the cool kids seem to like Death Watch these days. Everyone loves them, um, but there's a lot of good reason for that. I mean, they're hitting things on twos and wounding things on twos, rerolling ones, and there's a lot of 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 things that are you know non vehicle. Um, threats in the meta everything tau has um <laughs> you know like every, a lot of the big bads from drukari um can just get deleted by death watch so i think they're like a real hammer in a lot of matchups yeah um i had to plug them in somewhere but actually this is i think fairly low for for knights given you know what we've all gone through with knights uh, probably mm. in the last you know seven or eight months um but again i think they're going to be pretty complimentary and once the once the castellan is you know reduced in the meta it'll be interesting to see what becomes of knights because i think the the three knight build is is pretty popular even a four knight build uh, but vulnerable in a lot of matchups and obviously needs needs help from you know um, either abmech or obviously guard or, or something to, to round it out I, if i was a bolder man and my butt was feeling more powerful tonight i might have ranked custodies a little ahead of actually both of those guys but mm. this is where i, I slot them uh, one thing that springs to mind with them is that they do get a lot of mono faction play and they're super tough um and they uh they they seem to punch above their weight pretty consistently with the people who are passionate for them um and i think uh, they just have a lot of the things that it takes to be successful with some obviously glaring gaps but uh unless i think custodians deserve a nod and then my 10th pick is a half-hearted tau i think tau rationally probably could be higher on this list but um you know i think if i'm if i'm picking you know an eight person team you know i don't i don't you know tau's probably uh, maybe makes it depending on how some of the other books get doubled up on um Hmm. but uh you know they're certainly very potent in the right hands they've they've um gone the distance more than orcs have um and um they just get hard countered i think pretty easily um especially to you know negative hit modifiers and just having too many threats yeah. coming at them, they they can get overwhelmed surprisingly easily. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of room to innovate with Tau because it is. I've called it a half baked book. <laughs> I think uh, they suffered from a, a a deadline in the writers' room, and they just sort of click print. Um, I'd love to see Tau get revisited because um, I think there is creative stuff you can do with the book, but it's pretty handcuffed right now. Mm. So. W- I'm curious to see where you guys ranked uh, Tyranids and Harlequins uh, and Space Marines. Um, I had them 14 through 16. Yeah. It's pretty fair. Uh, I put Harlequins down pretty close to the bottom. I put them fourth from the bottom, in fact. Um, wow. They, they have one really good tool in the Skyweaver. That Haywire is amazing for countering knights, and especially the Castellan. And then they have a couple other okay things, but honestly, like, their book is really one-dimensional right now. And even though they can take advantage of Eldar allies, that's really those books being good, not them. They don't actually bring a lot to the party, because if you want to replace your Haywire Harlequins with 
haywire dark Eldar, you can. And you don't really lose a lot. All right. So, so uh, Sean, why don't you tell? Why don't you round out your top oh, five, yes. your top ten, and then um, after that, talk about your top five or your bottom five. Sorry. Sure. Um, so uh, finishing up on the six, I already did. I put Imperial Knights in there. Um, I pushed them just below S tier, basically because I didn't want to have like eleven books in S tier. Um, and also because <laughs> I don't feel Imperial Knights perform very well as a primary. Um, they certainly can win tournaments. They absolutely have done so in the past. Um, but as other people have said, they're very vulnerable to bad matchups. And if you get that Eldari guy who brought like 45 Haywire shots and Doom, your game is over. Um, you're just going to lose. Um, and they also can suffer very badly to a lot of the horde lists that are very popular these days. Um, like, it's it's a legit problem for knights to be facing down, like, 90 plague bearers or 250 boys. Um, and those are both lists you will see in the, in the meta. Um, so, right after that, I put Tau Empire. There is probably a bit of personal favoritism going on here, but I think Tau are actually very strong. Um, they are kind of vulnerable to, uh, certain bad matchups. Um, if they get stacked up against a, an Eldari list that is abusing minus twos and minus threes, then yeah, like their game can be over really quick. Um, but at the same time, uh, a lot of tournaments kind of play on fairly light terrain just because it like, it takes a lot of work and a lot of money to put a lot of terrain on the table, and in any table where you're seeing light terrain, Tau are just going to absolutely dominate. Um, they can just sweep you off the table in a turn or two and never give you a chance to do anything. Um, right below them, I put a Thousand Suns. Um, I think Thousand Suns are a fairly good book. They're probably arguably the best Chaos book. Um... And this is a little bit deceptive because, like, the combined Chaos Army is probably better than A tier. It's probably S tier. Um, but the individual parts of it and kind of the chunks in isolation are not nearly as impressive. Um, I think Chaos in general suffers from being a lot of one-trick ponies, basically. Um, that many of their books really only have one thing they do. If you take that away from them, suddenly the book does nothing. Um... What are your, um, if I might interject, like obviously, sure. I think you see a lot of a lot of people obviously going the other way instead of Thousand Suns Death Guard. Uh huh. Um, any 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 defenders out there of Death Guard over Thousand Suns? Death Guard definitely has stuff to offer. I I honestly ranked it a little lower than I probably should have, um, but. It's a codex that has some really powerful units that people forget just how good they are. Um, like, you hardly ever see people talk about the Foul Blight spawn, but, like, that guy can almost take a knight in a single turn by himself. Um, so, like, there's definitely some really good stuff in there. It's just kind of gotten overshadowed by other things in the meta. Uh, and if the meta shifts, we may see some changes to that, but I just don't think Death Guard are quite good enough to measure up to the top tier of lists these days. Um, at least as a individual codex, obviously as part of Chaos Soup, they can bring some really useful stuff. So, so what about real quick? 
Bottom five. Uh, bottom five. Grey Knights, no question. Worst codex in the game. Um, I'm really sorry, Shaylin and all the other Grey Knight players out there, but it is so bad. Bad units, bad stratagems, bad command points. It doesn't really have anything going for it. Um, the best you can probably say is that their troop choices are not as bad as some of the other codices out there, and that is not high praise. Um, they're not even the best at anti-infantry anymore now that Death Watch does its thing. A Death Watch guy with a Storm Shield and a Storm Bolter is cheaper than a Grey Knight, and comes with better equipment in basically every possible way. Oh, yeah. Um, I think Necrons have to go uh, next at the bottom. Um, we have seen Necrons on a bit of an upswing recently, as a lot of people are trying to make them work. Uh, but they're still just a very weak codex overall. Uh, that said, we they still do take GTs periodically, so they're not complete trash. Um, Blood Angels? Wait a minute. Is that, is that even remotely true? Peter, can I, no, can I they, don't, they don't take GTs, but really, they they go they go four and one. <laughs> I was they gonna go say I know one. I'd seen a lot of them in the four and ones. I thought there they'll had been do a couple four and one, GTs, um, but maybe not. We did yeah. have a five and one at LVO. Like they're not sure. terrible, but they're not yeah. good. Yeah, um, I put Blood Angels next. They're a great ally and just a bad primary. Um, they're, it's, they have two it, good units. Is the problem? They have a few more good units than them. They're just not worth it compared to the rest of what the Imperium can bring. Exactly, um, which means they have two good units. They have a yeah, captain yeah. and they have scouts. Yep. And you can take other scouts. Yeah. Um, Harlequins were next. I mentioned them before. It's They're, they're also very one-dimensional. Uh, they really have, like, one good unit and a couple okay units. Uh, and you can do like Sean Naden did and do some, like, weird gimmicky stuff with them. But at the end of the day, they just don't have a lot of options. And... Um, Especially sitting inside the Eldari super faction, it's really hard to justify them over the other just amazingly good choices. It's like, you know, you have three books in the S tier and then one book in the C tier, and it's like, gosh, what do you <laughs> pick? Um, and then last off uh, is kind of a tie between Chaos Marines and Space Wolves. Um, I don't think either of his books are terrible, but the, like Harlequin's... There's just there's usually better options within their super faction, um, so you don't have a strong incentive to bring them. It's like, honestly, you see Blood Angel allies more than you see Space Wolf allies, uh, just because Blood Angels do that one thing better than Space Wolves do. But if you were forced to play Mono Codex, you're probably better off with Space Wolves than Blood Angels. I agree. Um, so, so real quick, my bottom five, um, I've got chaos space Marines as the best in my bottom five. Um, mm -hmm. there's still, the codex is still generally pretty bad. The only, it's only redeeming quality is Abaddon and cultists, uh, and terminators now, I guess. Maybe. Um, <clears throat> it's still a pretty bad codex. Uh, I actually have dark angels over blood angels. I really? feel like blood angels are s still the slightly better solo codex. Than Dark Angels. Have you I, have you seen Aaron Wish's uh, Dark so, so Angels? So I have. Lists? I, I have. Uh, have you have you seen Mark Wright's Blood Angels? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, that's, not, that's also, also not pure. Uh, Mike Brandt. Well, Mike Brandt. Of them are. Yeah. Well, yeah. Neither neither of them are. Um, Mike uh, Brandt. Aaron Wish and, is pure. I think he and, runs an assassin. But... Yeah. Well, Aaron Aaron mm. Wish's lists are also different. Aaron, I feel like Aaron Wish is an outlier, 
Um, <clears throat> and then the average real Dark Angel lists and, and players is actually not actually Aaron Lynch. I don't know. I, I, would, um, I would judge lists by the best players, not by the worst players. Well, uh, I'm judging it by the median players, and mm. um, I just think that more Blood mm. Angels players would would do better with solo lists. But anyways, I, I don't like the Dark Angels Codex personally. I've used solo mm. Dark Angels lists. I've used solo Blood Angels lists. And the Blood Angels list has just been better. Mm. <clears throat> anyways, I, I've got Necrons after Dark Angels, uh, sure. Space Wolves, um, and then Grey Knights, of course, la- dead last. Yeah. Grey Knights, we're really, really sorry. I, I really want to like the Space Wolves Codex. It's just, it, it doesn't have a, a redeeming HQ choice. So it doesn't actually have an ally that you can like ally in and feel good about when there's so many what other options. Really, what really sucks about the chapter approved model is that you know they like so many books have missed that that basically the rebalancing of what characters cost. Like yeah. and this goes yeah this goes that's to the big thing. Orcs, orcs are are in that boat. Space wolves like um you know there's just there's just so many so many things that that could be. If in that new chapter approved, whatever their their metric is, like will be dropped, but hmm. it might be another year until that happens, and then we're pretty much in a new edition. See, and <laughs> so. and I actually sit on the opposite side of that. I think the Space Wolf characters are the best thing about that book. Really, um, your supreme command of like two wolf lords and a uh, wolf guard battle leader, all with jump pack smash captain setups, like that's actually pretty dangerous. Um, and it can bring some really good tools to the table. Likewise, you know, running a couple of Space Wolf uh, Rune Priests to for your debuffs alongside the Dark Angels guys, like, that gets you a really nice suite of powers. Um, but it's everything else in that book that is kind of lackluster. Um, their troop choices, because they don't get scouts, unlike all the other Marine books, puts them in a bad place. Yeah. Um, Thunderwolf cavalry are just unusably bad. Every Space Marine vehicle is a blank slate. Um, Wolfen are okay, but only if you bring 30 of them and then you have exactly one plan. Um, it There's just like, there's not a lot for it to really offer outside of the HQ slot. Yeah. And, and to, to, play, to be fair here, each of these codexes appeared at a five and one, in a five and one list at the LVO. Sure. So, so we're not we're not saying that they're gray knights. Like, you know, they're not awful. Well, so, if you're Blood a, Angels a <clears throat> didn't either, I have I have, well, a, I have a, I I literally just messaged everyone saying that I wanted to go to bed soon, but I'm going to now ask a question that will stop that from happening. Um, <laughs> one one simple change to the meta, and do you think there's any significant movement here? And that's the Castellan is no longer, um, you know, a tippy top tier competitive option. What, who do you think benefits the most from that? Yanari, hands down. Okay, yeah. let's assume that hand in hand, Yanari. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, fair. Let's say hand in hand, Yanari and Castellan get get take some lumps. Sure. And um, can, the core <clears throat> mechanics of them changes significantly. I, who who takes the leap forward? I think that we would get uh, a stranglehold of Dark Eldar and Gene Circle. Hmm. I, I think I think all of a sudden those two lists would be like okay so if you have a trick we'll stop you and by the way our codexes are amazing and we play every format really well we're mobile we're lethal um and by the way did I say we could stop you um so I I actually don't think I I think in nerfing Inari and Castellans to the ground might actually hurt the meta um just you know it, it's just like well at that point what do I don't. I don't feel like pure guard lists can beat dark Eldar lists. 
Oh, um, I don't know about that. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously there's stats to back that up one way or another. Um, but I, I just feel like the Dark Elder and Gene Steer Colt right now, um, looking towards the future, are, are really, really good. And if the Castellan and the Nari get nerfed, then I think those will be your two top lists. What's a, what's a Castellan really doing against Gene Steer Colt right now? Oh, a, a Keeping other list lists is, down. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. A Castellan list is still an oops, I win list. You can at any point in time just decide, I- I'm going to roll hot with my Castellan, blow your biggest thing off the the board and you can't catch up because I have all these bodies and I win. It's it's that's so why the, it's so good because it it's so it's it's kind of it's got this huge fail safe, you know, in, it's in really, all these yeah, card it's, bodies. It's it's the biggest fish in the ocean. So yes. now, like, what lists really l- jump forward when now there's there's no apex predator anymore? Like, and I said predator, but like <clears throat> immediately primarchs spring to mind. Like Mortarian and Magnus can show up again. Yeah, maybe yeah. I don't know. So, so I, I guess to answer your your question more, Val, um, you're right. Magnus Mortarian Chaosless will go up. Um, Nightless, mm-hmm. you know, actual pure Nightless might go up. That's more. true. Yeah, um, I don't think it'll be pure Nightless, but I think we'll see more. Or three or four Nightless, I guess is, um, I should say. Is, go ahead, is Peter. maybe three, maybe three knights in this new tank commander business? But instead of mm-hmm. the castle, and they take, I don't know, two gallants and a crusader, or two crusaders and something. Um. Tank commanders are pretty good now, and um, not having to lose, you know, one a turn or two a turn to a Castellan, um, yeah, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, it's, I see that, and, like, I can obviously see where it's good. Uh, what I worry about is, I look at that list, and I ask, like, how does it deal with, you know, 10 aberrants and 50 other guys showing up on its doorstep turn two? Oh, understood. Um, I don't think it's unbeatable. I just think it becomes much better. For sure. Um, I think that you will see tank commanders coming back if the Castellan goes away. Um, and, you know, part of it will also depends on how much worse the Castellan gets, because there's, like, increments we can get where, like, the Castellan becomes still good but not overwhelming, or the Castellan becomes merely okay, or the Castellan becomes unusable. And you're well, going to see for, different for states of argument, meta for each of those. For the sake of the meta, for for the sake of argument, let's just say it's 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 removed. It, it's the it's dodo bird. Okay, so they they do they pull a forge world on it. Now it's the like eight hundred points. Eight hundred, yeah, nothing. Fourteen hundred. You know, right, it, it becomes well, unusably yes. bad. Um, like it, if you see that, and presuming that Yanari is also nerfed, because that's one thing we always have to remember here, uh, the Castellan is in part keeping Yanari in check, and without that, like Yanari will just run wild. Um, but I think you'll actually see an upswing in uh, Craft Worlds a lot. Um, I was going to say as my second. I, yeah. I ranked Craft Worlds very high. Um, Currently, Dark Eldar are doing better than Craft Worlds as kind of like a solo thing, but let's not forget that Craft Worlds have some really strong vehicles yeah. that the Castellan's presence is kind of put, puts a press down on. Um, if the Castellan goes away, you're going to see even more Eldar flyers and even more wave serpents on the table, and those are all vehicles that a lot of armies really struggle to deal with um I, especially I, imperial guard and drukari and some of these others i really don't think we're gonna miss yanari if if it comes down <laughs> no. to it but i i do nope. think we will miss the castellan i think i think if the castellan mm. gets over nerfed it, it <laughs> i think it opens up a lot of really parking lot style lists 
a uh, lot of lot of what would then be very tough vehicle lists that will be kind of grindy. Could be. Then, but then wouldn't night lists like love that? Like you know. Oh yeah, night lists. I'm, I'm gonna wade into this horde of chimeras and then just kill the chimeras and then kill the guys inside, well, and then my three other night buddies are gonna. And and don't forget who else loves parking lots? Horde lists. We're just going to touch all your vehicles, put one hand on each of them, and suddenly you don't get a shooting phase. Um, and they know we're going to wrap one of them, so even if you fall back with all your vehicles, you still don't get to shoot me with anything. I tell you, if the Castellan gets nerfed hard, the first GT available, I'm showing up with two gargantuan squigoths. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Full so, stop. Well, Peaches and Buttercup are going to run <laughs> rampant. Well, the, the sad truth, sad thing is, is Grey Knights will not benefit from Inari and Castellans getting nerfed. I mean, um, they will, <laughs> just not enough. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Grey Knights do not like Inari, and they do not like the Castellan. Yeah, but they also don't like Orcs, Gene Steeler, Colt, At Dark least Eldar. Orcs they can shoot at and kill. That's true. They have no way to deal with the Inari or Castellan, and that's one of the biggest problems for them, is like all those other like C-tier lists at least have ways to hurt things. Like Blood Angels, Smash Captains are actually dangerous. Grey Knights have nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And speaking of interesting questions, uh, we have a couple interesting questions from our patrons. Um, Mr. Patron Ken asked us, uh, is asking us for some good evergreen units we can buy and that'll still be relevant even in the new changes uh and so, and so where the context there here is is uh jeff dropped a bit of a bombshell on the on the patreon exclusive um cast that's going to come up later this week about an army um and it, it kind of worried this patron a little bit like what you know he doesn't want to invest money into a faction that could become irrelevant uh so what are some tips for people who want to invest safely in the future starting with val because this is a little bit up his alley oh crap um i wasn't listening is sorry pablo is this is this space marine specific or is this trying to speak more generally uh more generally just just some just some good Mm. units that that you think people people should invest in that are solid um in the future I mean, the oh, obvious man. place to start is your faction's troops. Um, yep. it, like, your Space Marine scouts across all the different factions you can take them are great. Intercessors are solid. If you don't already have, like, five to ten intercessors, I would say go out and grab yourself some. Um, and you might even want a few more than that. Um, with some of these new stratagems and everything from the uh, 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 special, Vigilist. yeah, Vigilist Detachment stuff... Um, 10 intercessors throwing down 40 shots per turn, re-rolling everything. That's scary. That's a lot of stuff to deal with. Um, so I, I say if you're, if you're doing space Marines, that's another really solid place to start. Um, if you're looking towards Eldari, I would say start thinking about their vehicles a little bit. Your Venoms, your Raiders, your Wave Serpents, your Flyers. Um, those are all going to be on the uptick in the future here, and most of those have been good for a very long time. Um, now that uh, Sean bought me some time, one thing that I would say is, I don't know how many people approach this game as a collector, but I think that's kind of the way I've wound up. 
And I think one way to look at it is, look, rules change constantly. Like this, the meta has been a real churn. Like even if, if mm-hmm. you look back one year from today, you know, what's playing well is very different from, uh, you know, what's playing now. Um, so, you know, continue to just round out and having access to different units, different builds, magnets are your friends, um, gives you more and more options as time goes on and things come around like yeah. they, they really do. I think there's probably nothing more uh, salient point though than a focus on, you know, core things like troops, um, and especially in the armies that have you know different options. Like a points tweak here or there can can really uh, change things. Like I don't know, I'm just going to use the example of uh, poxwalkers. Poxwalkers a year ago were were what people were running a lot of as as troops in that like crazy horde. I think if they ever get a points decrease, which they very well could they would suddenly be an incredibly good option. So, mm-hmm. you know, focusing on having those those big, you know, troop options that will form invariably the core of a, you know, a brigade-based army, that's always a good place to go. Yeah. Um, I think, as just to say, Val's point about rounding out your collection and everything kind of coming around, like, you know, I've been playing for a long time. Um, just I might say p- battalion, sorry. Or a brigade, too. Like, we're seeing a move towards brigades because those command points are really valuable. Um, but, like, don't be too worried about, like, selling off your stuff and buying new stuff. Just pick up your kits one or two at a time, slowly mm-hmm. add to your collection, focus on the factions you like, and sooner or later your stuff is going to be good again. Um, might not be today, might not be a year from today, but lord knows what ninth edition is going to bring um sooner or later your units are going to be good again yeah <clears throat> another, i think another unit to invest in is custom hqs or kitbashed hqs uh, i've got maybe yeah. like 20 different space marine characters that have all acted as 20 different hqs across the entire space marine range mm-hmm. um, including being inquisitors in power armor uh, or whatever you need them to be and i think you can do that with most codexes I, I i can't say you can do it with everything but i could see like a really cool female gene sealer cult model that could be like an alphys if you magnetize it onto a bike or or like a patriarch or maybe not a patriarch a primus or a magus or whatever you want it to be same thing with guard mm-hmm. eldar very common you could have an eldrad or a prince Ariel or whatever you know so it's definitely invest in and customized HQs, and it's also kind of fun too because you you have these cool HQ choices. You can name them whatever you want. Um, you, you know, you can get them painted in different paint schemes in your army. I, I think it, that's pretty fun. Um, and then another another suggestion would be to go onto like bestcoastpairings.com and then look at some of the top lists and what they're running, and look at the units that that you see commonly but aren't on everyone's radar. Um, so like, like Primaris Intercessors are, are a great example. They're also a troop choice, but they're also a unit that you see consistently across multiple Space Marine power armor lists, um, that people are running one or two of, and I doubt that GW is going to nerf Intercessors anytime soon. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. The same thing with like thing. Ravagers, Dark Eldar Ravagers, you, you know, oh, yeah. there's a lot of like Dark Eldar, um, armies running them essentially and i don't see gw nerfing them because they're not that broken they're just really 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 good um but yeah i would just look at units like that ever evergreen units peter i think you guys touched everything that i would have said um i'm always a big fan of customizing like, hqs just because mm-hmm. like you're you're good it's it's like the one thing the person across the table from you is never gonna fight you on unless they look outrageous 
Um, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like they have a, a weird baby doll head or something. Oh, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I went there. Um, other than that, like Sean said, like everything comes back around. So if you're trying to be super competitive right away, um, like you're going to be chasing, you're going to be chasing a dream, right? Like unless you, unless you're independently wealthy in this game, uh, like the meta changes frequently, um, and you're just going to have to take those hits if you, if you, if that's what you want. Otherwise, uh, stick to your troop choices, stick to your HQs, and like Pablo said, um, look at the units that people are taking that nobody's crying about. Like Ravagers, um, like, um, I was going to say Grotesques, but people cry about Grotesques. I wouldn't be surprised if someday they, they see a nerf bat. Well, like a Night Crusader. Uh, yeah, Night, Night Crusader Night... is another perfect example. Helverins. Uh, the Night Gallant. Uh, yeah, Helverins. Those are units that are decent. They're not broken. Um, they do work. Um, Lehman Rust Tank Commanders we just talked about. Uh, they're <laughs> showing up all over the place now. But I can't tell you anybody that's like, I hope I never see one of those again. Um, that's the big thing is look for where all the rage is and try to stay away from that. Um, also, if you collect gene stealer cults, you're probably okay for a little while. Yeah. Just saying. Uh, the fact already came out. I think you're good for a little bit. An- another good looking place. If you are kind of considering like what's going to be fine for a while, new stuff. Um, when GW puts out a new kit, bets are that that is going to be a you know useful unit for the foreseeable future because they don't want to wreck their sales um and i don't want to say gw bases all their decisions on sales but they are a company they have to make money they're probably not going to screw themselves out of a half million yeah and also just they they already show that it the process to build a unit or, or to fac or or make chapter approved make a codex takes a long time it, it takes months out um so, and I believe they actually mentioned this in the Gene Circle um, designer's commentary in that the, the rules for the Gene Circle Codex mm. came out way before Agents of X got nerfed, um, yep. which means, you know, that that's like a six-month timeline, right? Because Agents of X got nerfed in September. Yeah. Uh, for, so, I believe they're open that it's a six- to nine-month timeline for right. other books, right? So, so, yeah. So, and, sorry, do you mind if I do an aside here for a second? Sure, sure, um, go ahead. It, a lot of people will say that sounds like a ridiculously long time. It's really pretty standard in the printing industry. Uh, keep in mind, GW is producing pretty high-quality books uh, compared to your your paperback novels and whatnot. That means that they are, you know, even after all the playtesting and everything else has been done, they're sending this to the printer. There is probably a one-month or two-month editing process where just technical flaws in the writing and layout are corrected uh where the art is all collated together and put all that then this gets sent overseas and then it's probably another three to four months from there before the you know physical printing itself and the stocks are sent back to stateside for sale um so like that is an easy five to nine months um, and they have to plan all this out ahead of time for when they're doing the release dates, so they need a little bit of buffer time in there. Yeah, um, it, it takes a long time. This is a big business. Yeah, I, I want to add on to that because I I was for college. I helped a professor edit his textbook, and we had to write paragraphs for specific chapters, but we had to fit the text in a very specific part in the book because mm-hmm. the images were already made. So you needed to convey information in a way so that fit in that neat little spot, which I imagine GW codexes have the same problem. And yep. then we had to translate it, not we, but we had to translate it in like 20 different languages, 
right? So you had to do all that, and you had to make sure all of those languages fit into that same paragraph after they were translated into that same little spot. And then on top of that, you have all the stuff that Sean mentioned, plus it has to go to print. It, it takes a very, very long time. But anyways, all that aside, uh, if you point is, is if you buy a new unit, it's probably been worked on for six to nine months, um, and then it gets released, and then it probably, at most, if it has an immediate meta impact where it's absolutely dominating, like in Ari and Castellans, then you have probably another six to nine months more before it gets nerfed. And that's that's as if it has an immediate impact. Yeah. Right? So so you're, you're good. You're, you're good with new stuff. And um, let's not forget the Castellan came out a little under a year ago and is still a massively dominant unit that has not really been changed all that much yeah it, it's gotten brandon grant an itc championship which which is not yeah. which it is an investment that's a and a half a half dozen majors or so yeah mm-hmm. so <clears throat> i hope i hope we answered your question ken um that's a great question if you are in our patreon facebook group chat um if you guys want to know more have any more questions or want to know any other units so uh, I want to move on to a final, another question, and kind of to round out the whole topic. Uh, a patron named Forrest asked, uh, what are some of the factions that look to have the best longevity in competitive play going forward? Uh, and this kind of ties into how I wanted to end the faction anyways, and that's how do we project uh, certain factions going into 2019 doing well and doing worse? Uh, and I'm going to start with Admech. Um, I mm. think Adeptus Mechanicus, um, they're already kind of a, a popular, you know, top pick in 7th edition uh, and so there's still a lot of really nicely painted good admech armies um, they've been they've been pretty much out of it for a year in terms of the, the top tier competitive scene um, but I see them making a comeback in 2019 they're a really really good codex and chapter approved helped them out a bunch hmm um I'm gonna say craft worlds um as much as we've seen Yanari Craft Worlds, I think Craft Worlds for real are probably going to take uh, a pretty big spot again as soon as Yanari are out of the picture. Um, also, it's probably not a shock to anyone to say that Gene Steeler Colts are going to be really, really good. They've got everything you want in a good book going forward. Um, I'm aware that Admech is good, but I guess it just never really impresses me when I look at it. And maybe that's just me completely underestimating it. But um, I just I always look at Admech and are kind of like, eh, it's okay. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Pete, do you have any do you have any factions you you're looking forward to in 2019? Yeah. Um, Death Watch because I think that they're just getting better and better um, mm. in the early part. Uh, but I think Chaos Space Marines are going to be a faction really? to watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Vigilist because two. Vigilist two, I think, is going to have a big impact. Um, like this game is built around two factions, right? It's built around Space Marines and Chaos Space Marines, and it it only benefits GW to make those two factions work. And we talk about how Space Marines are kind of on the lower end to middle. They do have a couple lists now that are starting to show because of Vigilus more than anything. Um, and uh, Chaos Space Marines are going to get the same treatment. They're getting a new Abaddon. To me, I think that's a sign that we're going to see at least something that's going to bump them from where they stand into like a seriously competitive army. That's my kind of projection for probably 
I don't know, May, June of this year, you'll see a big spike in the Chaos Space Marine. That's the yeah. that's the crossed fingers hope, at least. They are also on the radar for a revamped codex, which GW has said they're going to be doing. And the combination yeah. of those two things could really push them into the top ranks. Yeah, <clears throat> and the, the, chaos, the traditional Chaos Soup list, uh, mix of demons, Thousand Suns, Chaos Space Marines, Chaos Good stuff, um, has been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that that's, in terms of longevity... Uh, picking chaos, um, you're probably going to be pretty safe as long as you stay away from the fringe chaos space marine units. Because although I I do agree with with Pete now, um, I think that with Vigilist Defiant two and and Abaddon and and the new detachments that chaos space marines are going to get, plus what they already have access to in allies, I definitely see that codex going up. Um, I don't see mutilators getting a second life anytime soon, or, or like <laughs> oh man, if they did, it'd be beautiful. I mean, or, or that's what we thought raptors. about a lot of the Admech units, but who knows? Well, the, the Admech now, units that became better because yeah. well, Catafron destroyers were good in seventh edition, um, and then they got their yeah. points increased by like a mile, right? Whereas mutilators haven't been good ever. Sure, but let let's pretend you know mutilators get a you know, plus three inch charge thing, just like, uh, Admech did. Suddenly they're actually kind of dangerous. Um, Maybe. cause they're tough, like two wounds, two up, five up, or sorry, three wounds, two up, five up, um, is like, they have the potential to be good. Their limiter is just, they can never get anywhere. And it's very possible. We'll see something that fixes that. Mm. Well, and you know what? We can't count anything out. You're right. Yeah, and with the team of playtesters we have now, with GW having a much better like uh, you know a grasp on the pulse of the community, um, yeah, I really think that yeah, Space Marines are something you need to watch for. I think Space Marines in general, uh, any kind of power armor is going to see a big push yeah. uh, this year because there's just been too many complaints for the last you know nine months that. Uh, maybe the first few codexes uh, weren't up to where they should have been, and most of those power armor codexes came in then, or were written around the same time, right? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think I think outside of poor space wolves and gray knights, um, and that's because gray knights are so bad and space wolves are so new. Um, I think that all the power armor space marines codexes are probably gonna get a bit of a boost. Um, also, also, if judging by what Jeff said on the the bonus episode. Um, but yeah, Space Marines are definitely something that uh, a faction that you definitely want to buy into um, in the future. What are w- real quick while we're on the buying and selling idea? What are some factions that you think people shouldn't buy into that you maybe should start selling? <laughs> so go, go ahead. I don't know if there's any factions I would say like get rid of it now. It's gonna be garbage soon. Um because I think GW's aim is to bring all factions into some kind of alignment. I think they're working to bring up the bad factions more so than knock down the good ones. So if you have a faction you like and you want to play, um, odds are much better than it's going to get made get made better than it's going to get made worse. Um, that said, if you're looking for factions that are going to be jumping up soon that you are thinking of starting up, like we already said, Chaos Space Marines and Space Marines should be on your radar. Gene Steeler Colts, if you've ever had any interest in them. Uh, Admech, 
also a solid potential sisters of battle honestly they're going to get a codex for real here before too long and unlike every single other book we've seen they have like a six month to a year bonus playtest cycle that is being played by the community at large so that GW can look at every single flaw and every single problem in their book and analyze it as best they can to make it better. Um, yes. So I think there's a very good chance that Sisters of Battle are going to be on fire when they get released. And I know all the Sisters of Battle pe- players out there are complaining about how bad their book it is. I don't really think it's that bad. And I think it's only going to get better when you get a codex for real. Yeah, and and just so GW is showing us the timeline of Sisters of Battle, but but you know I would maybe start buying into uh, you can't buy Plastic Sisters right now, but I would maybe start yeah. buying into um, you know Battle Sisters uh, just because they're they they will pres- they will print a new plastic bottle I'm sure of it of Battle Sisters, oh, of but course. we probably will need a bunch of them just because of how the army looks like it's going to play right now. So it might be it might be worth it to invest in in some of those. Well. Um, and I wouldn't you say know, invest in Battle Sisters unless you're doing, like, conversions of your own and you don't care about the GW models, but the GW models are going to be gorgeous, so, yes. you know, maybe wait for that. But keep in mind, like, what if you're buying a Battle Sisters army, you're going to need allies for it, so look to what those allies are, allies are now uh, and kind of start prepping yourself for all that, or maybe get those gorgeous converted HQs ready or those tanks that are not going to get a new kit and stuff like that. Also, Sisters players, right now is the time to start hounding GW with rules with rules ideas right yeah. now paragraphs send them right now your your codex is being oh. made like right now and like, don't uh, timeline wise i don't say send them rules suggestions because they can't really use that but feedback on how the feedback. codex is doing and all that kind of thing don't say we need to have two extra wounds on every model say i feel like repentia aren't tough enough yes yeah all right so i think that i think and, we pretty much covered it oh good peter I think the one thing I would tell people um, to avoid, uh, at least until the next FAQ, is uh, avoid vehicles and monsters for now. Wait your yeah. month for that to come out just to be safe because I think the the one thing that I hate seeing with people – like my, I have a very tiny community that I'm in that plays. But we do have two guys that play Night Castellans. Mm-hmm. And uh, – you get these really nice fluffy dudes that come in from the high school and they buy uh, like Tyrannifexes and things because they look so awesome. And then they put them on the table and then they play one of these guys. And it's not like these Castellan guys are hardcore players, but the Castellan just wipes it off the table immediately. Yeah. And uh, it, it doesn't feel good. So just just be safe. If you're not collecting, if you if these are units you want to field, just wait to be safe before you buy those uh, those vehicles and, and those uh, you know monsters that you think are super awesome. Unless it's got some kind of built-in invulnerable save. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's so funny because as I'm listening to this episode, or not, not as listening, as I'm talking about this episode, I just got a picture of a Knight Castellan that I purchased through our Frontline Gaming Paint Studio. It looks absolutely gorgeous, and mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to winning with it for another month. <laughs> oh. Um yeah, don't don't be like Pablo. Don't get a paint commission um of a night castle in months before. Oh, whoa, 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 Pablo. No, 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 no. Don't say that. Be exactly like Pablo. Commission your paint stuff from Frontline Gaming and their wonderful paint studio because those models will always last forever. Absolutely. And they do look gorgeous. It's gonna look very beautiful. I'm I'm very, very I don't regret it too much, but was it a fart smart business decision? No, but then again we are playing forty K. Yeah. Mm. 
the, the right. bad business decision was starting this game, not buying the Castellan. <laughs> All right. So moving on to in conclusion, uh, we have some Patreon questions that, that we have in the Facebook group ch- or in the Facebook chat or the Facebook group chapter tactics, Patreon group. Uh, if you want to be a patron real quick, uh, all you have to do is go to chaptertactics.com slash or patreon.com slash chapter tactics, uh, where you can ask us questions on episodes. And I'm going to be start, I'm going to start asking you guys to give us questions at the end of every so every episode where we will read them and answer them to the best of our abilities. Uh, so starting off with Mr. Nikhil Sinha, he wants us to discuss the Gene Sealer Colt's mental onslaught mortal wounds, not having a limit. It has um, a limit now. Knights being sniped behind screens 18 inches. So um, it has I a believe limit GW now. came out and said it doesn't. They, there was a mistake. Really? Because yeah, one so version of the FAQ did say it had a limit. I know, uh, but they released two. Yeah. <laughs> and the Facebook, uh, uh, the Facebook post, uh, they mentioned that the one that was on, the one that had a limit was incorrect. Hmm. Interesting. Well, which um, so I'm gonna go check to see which one is right because I'm I was so confused all day about this. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't I don't want to make a strong opinion if I don't actually know what the rules are. So that that makes so, that difficult to discuss. Yeah, and so I, yeah. So they they did release two facts. One said that it was limited to six wounds, and one that did not have that limit. And if you look right now at the site. It the one that had the six wound limit is not there any longer, so hmm. it's been removed. Uh, well, um, I don't know. I don't know much about the mental onslaught power, um, but you know the good news about designers' commentaries and FAQs is that they can be fixed relatively easy. Yeah, you don't have to worry about you know a book or anything crazier. So um, they I might f- clarify it in a week. Yeah, I feel like that power should have some limitations on it. It's a little bit too easy to make it just one-shot anything in the game. Um, and with the built-in defenses that Gene Steeler Colt has against their own characters being sniped, uh, I feel like that gives them a bit too strong of a tool there. Um, that said, it can be very hard to set up, and there are a number of defenses against it. Um it is only 18-inch range, and Castellan lists typically come with a whole lot of models to stand in front of the Castellan, so getting within 18 inches of that Castellan is a lot harder than you think. Um, yeah, so I feel... we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I feel like at top, top tables, it's not a big deal. It's going to be the mid and lower tables where yeah. it's going to cause feel-bad moments. Yeah, where it just yeah. sort of like, my guy comes in, and he casts a power, and I destroy your most powerful unit, and I'm going to do it again next turn. Yeah. So that that's all there is to that, but we'll see. We'll see if it gets changed again. But yeah, they released two facts: one that had a six a six mortal wound limit to it, one that did not, um, and they kept the one that did not, saying that it's the latest iteration. Hmm. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. And um, here's the thing: um, like there are people already on the on the Facebook page, uh, like being horribly violent with their um, their their feelings and emotions about it. So it's not like they haven't heard that people might think it's too powerful yeah but we got to actually see it in play for a little uh, like a period of time to be sure right sure and i think that's where this is coming from yeah and then uh sean could you explain to people at home who maybe haven't read the codex right what mental onslaught is i'm looking at it right now so just just because i'm me, one of those me, people the basic power is not actually particularly bad uh you and your opponent you 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 cast it with a guy, you target an enemy, you and your opponent roll off, add your leadership. If you get higher, they take a mortal wound, and you do it again. If not, it stops. Um, doesn't seem too bad. The problem is that 
not only does Gene Stewart Colts come with one of the fairly rare Leadership 10 models in the game, in the Patriarch, but it has several ways to buff his leadership and debuff enemy leadership. And the way the math works out, the more you tilt that thing, like if you're only plus one over them, it's not too bad. But if you're at plus two or plus three or plus four, it becomes nearly impossible to stop it. So it just keeps doing mortal wounds until that target model dies, um, which is very powerful. Yeah, and it's it, it's very easy to get a patriarch up to uh, plus three. So he's leadership 13. Yeah. Um, and with like very little, it's it's usually the the fear, the um, the, like the horror and things that you have to get off to reduce your opponent's leadership to a point where it's still going. But even still, if you're a thirteen and you're up against like a knight's what nine yep. base, that's you're still putting out a decent amount of mortal wounds on average. Well, if you get the horror off and it's now like a seven, now it just it's kills just it. Dead. Yeah. Uh, right? The thing so, to remember at you know nine versus thirteen, that means they need to roll a six and you need to roll a two for it mm-hmm. to stop. And you still have, you have command points. So like the chances of that not, it's, it's going to do like 12 wounds to a knight in a lot of cases. Uh, And that's in a bad scenario. Like it can do more than that pretty easily. I just want to, I just want to see one, one uh, Magus going up to a unit of conscripts just being (laughs) like, 30 units dead. 30 you can't models. do it. Well, it does it to a single model. It only kills a model. Oh, it's only a model. Okay. Yeah. I read that now. Okay. Yeah, so if you're if you're fielding like 300 conscripts and a company commander in the back, a one guy, that, that's not doing anything to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. you but uh, it's the worst smite in the world. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, all right. So, uh, second question. Um, uh, Nick Smith wants to know what are some of the strangest combinations that we're seeing at high end play. Uh, and I, I'm going to start this off um, with Primaris repulsors and three predators mm. in the Las Vegas Open top eight is probably. I think the most unique combination uh, recently that I've seen. Oh, I was just going to say literally any list that Sean Naden brings to the table. That's, uh, that's another. That's another that's one. Yeah. That, that man is crazy, insane, but you know, in just the right way to keep winning. Uh, I'm constantly looking to him for inspiration on additional Eldar lists. Um, what about some strange combinations that we see on the regular? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I, I think the Admech and Knight. Uh, was was pretty uh, Admech and Castellan, um, combination was pretty strange that Justin Lewis were in at the top eight. I think we'll probably see more of that, so it won't become as a stra- as much of a strange combination. Um, but at the time, it was, it was pretty good. The Eldar uh, flyer then, lists. Yeah, I was just about to say flyer lists in general, like um, the the Astra Militarum flyer list. That oh yeah, Delvio. Yeah, which was super random, and strange. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Eldar flyer lists. I, I know Eldar flyer lists are are like. I know, oh, they're an Eldar Fire list. Of course, they're broken. They're obviously broken Eldar Flyers, but yeah. they're actually not super common. They've been in the back burner yeah. for quite a while now, speaking of yeah. someone who They're not common them. in North America. Oh, right? I see. And, and that's the thing. Like, when I track um, European tournaments, they're still all over the place. Really? Um, yeah. Huh. As, nine is uh, more rare. They, yeah. That still gets a gets a like a reaction but five or six extremely common interesting and i think i think that's why you saw it do so well um like uh this five plus fire lists had like a 60 percent win rate at lvo 59 i believe was what it was yeah um and that's off of a lot of play right because um 
to a lot of people, they're scared of trying it uh, due to um, boots on the ground, right? And, lo- uh, and auto losing. Nope, boots on the but ground. If- uh, they they kick that one around. Uh, flyers aren't discounted for that anymore. I thought that was just because of that one chapter approved of thing. Anyway, yeah, regardless, anyways, yeah. Um, like it's not something to be scared of anyway, if you really know what you're doing with the flyers, right? That's yeah. the big thing is once you get enough gameplay, it, like they screen out very well. Um, but yeah, I have a hard time with this question. And I told the person that was asking it that, that because I like, you know, I look at 2000 lists a week and so right. seeing something like new and surprising takes a while. I, I, I go like way back to when I started this in like June and I started seeing the mixed like librarian lists and having to stop and be like, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. And then having to like check out the rune priest in the dark and being like, oh, yeah. And then like two months later, everyone was doing it. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> obviously it's, it's caught on. But the first couple of times I saw it, it was interesting. I'm, I am seeing a lot of mixed um, cult mechanicus lists now. Yeah. Uh, where they're taking like as much as a brigade with almost every unit just being a different um, a different sub faction uh, to to just to get the different uh, stratagems because they don't care about the bonus. Yeah, um, outside seeing of, it a lot with Dark Eldar uh, too, but yeah, I was gonna say outside of Stygies, a lot of the uh, ad mech bonuses are actually kind of mediocre, but their stratagems can be very powerful. Yeah. Yes. So seeing a lot of that, a lot of like Lucius combined with um, Grya, so you get the yeah. the uh, deep strike plus you also get the um, denial, the denial, things like that. And and then uh, one final thing before we move on, um, there's a lot of knight combinations that are kind of interesting to me. I, I've I've made it a point to know what all the forged knights do, but I'm I'm seeing them now everywhere. I've seen uh, pretty much every forged knight, um, I think, except the castigator. The Lancer uh, was the one the I Garen. saw that surprised me the most. Yes, the top eight, the LBO. Um, but, well, because yeah, you had can, a really good win rate. Because you can give it the trait so it has a four up invulnerable against shooting, yep. and then Five also, uh, and that it's and then it has a you know four up invuln against uh, close, close combat. combat as well, and you can rotate either of those, um, and you can potentially give it the relic for two up armor, so you've got a two up three up against anything. Um, that's actually really nasty. Yeah, it, it's a Swiss. The Sarasus Knights are really good Swiss Army knives because you can you can give them Land Strider and just run them up the board and yeah. charge something forty inches away. You can give them Helm of the Peerless Warrior and plus one attack, so that they're essentially a Knight Gallant hitting on twos in close combat with fifteen attacks, yep. um, which is something you take a Knight Gallant for. Uh, obviously, the Lancer has access to a, a good invuln in melee. They all have access to a three up invuln against shooting. Um, you can give them. There's just tons of options. You you know you can give them whatever you want. Um, but yeah, I, I just like all the cool, strange combinations of knights that that people are running. It makes me want to keep running knights because I, I really love that codex. And what I was trying to say before my internet went out, I really think knights are too strong. I agree. Just, they're not going to win. Um, not, and I'm thinking it from uh, from like a, a gaming perspective. I don't think they're too strong at the top tables. I think they are the. Uh, gatekeeper list um but if you look at their win rates at the mid tables they're absurd yeah. and that's i think the problem is it's it's so skewed that it's really hard if you if you're new to the game and you don't take a night list and you see one like what to do they have a, i think that's yeah a very negative effect on middle tier players and beginner players uh because the ways you deal with them are very advanced level stuff um so 
like for those players who are new to the game, it's just like they seem insurmountable and it creates a very negative experience for them, which is bad for the game as a whole. Yes. And yeah, and it goes the other way too when they when they collect them. Like I said, I have a very small community here. We have a couple night players. One of them, he's brand new. So I had that talk with him yesterday where I was like, hey, you're going to have a lot of fun playing this army, but like you're going to go up against somebody that's also has a skew list. And it's gonna suck. You're not gonna have a fun time. The game's gonna be over when it begins, and that's just something you gotta you gotta just be mentally prepared for. So yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. And it, you you see it definitely. Um, you know, just a, if you play a multiple opponents, um, the players that are maybe newer or or may not have the skill level or list to beat your night list, you're just gonna beat them, and then yeah, I'm just gonna feel bad. Um, but yeah, I I, th- I love the codex, but I think I agree with you a little, Peter. Um, though I also think that knights are good for the game. Oh, um, I I'm with I'm with Jeff strongly. on I'm with Jeff on that. Jeff and I both both have talked about it and agreed on it. So, um, I think Reese too. I'm not sure about Reese actually, but I, I, I don't know. I think knights are I think knights are personally the big robots are good for the game. Um, but I think, I think players. The codex, I, say, I think players like knights. I think they're bad for the game. Um, just like, you know, I love eating sugar. It's not good for me, but I love it. I still do it, but it's bad for me. But Sean, it's good for your soul. Is it though? I think it's actually <laughs> bad for my soul too. Um, you know what? The more I, the more I think about knights, the more I wish that you could only field one. And that's about it. I yeah. feel like one, you don't, the thing with running five of them is like, you, you like, I don't have a problem running against five knights. And, and I'm just above a baby seal when you play against me. Trust me. I'd rather be drinking um, and having a good time. But, um, like, th- like it's just because it's such a skew yeah. running five of them. Anyway, it's we're getting off topic, I think, if we're running this too long. But that's just, like, I could go on and on about, like, little thoughts about balance in the game. Um, anyway. So, and then finally, uh, Tim Dodd rounding out the Patreon questions with, how can we level the field more for the underperforming codexes this time? Give them new codexes. Um, I mean, yeah, that's the, the obvious answer, if not the easy one. I think GW has done a lot of work in that front. Um, they are working hard to try and bring the codices up. Some of them just need some points adjustments or some small rules tweaks. Some of them need serious rewrites. Grey Knights is not going to be a good codex no matter how many times you tweak its rules. Um, yeah. You need to just rewrite that book. And honestly, with the model range available, I'm not sure anything can fix it. Um, but there's things that you can do that are better than others. Uh, and one of the things you've seen is that like we're seeing a compression of the codices to where more and more of them are getting closer and closer together. And I think that is yeah. GW's goal, and I think they're they're making very real effort there. Uh, the Vigilist is helping there. Chapter Approved does a lot of work as well. Um, and these FAQs they're putting out that kind of like are doing their best to bring up the low men and, and bring down the high players um, have been getting us closer and closer to the state we want the game to be in. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think you hit the, the, the nail on the head. Sean, I think supplemental codexes like Vigilist Defiant and stuff, I think that's probably the best, most exciting way to bring up bad armies. Um, it's the most economically feasible way, I yeah. would argue, mm-hmm. um, because GW can't just re-release a codex every six months uh, in order to fix the problems and try and bring the meta into a lot into the alignment. Yeah. It's and not I think- feasible. 
Yeah, and people would be mad if that just was what oh, happened. Absolutely, yeah, pretty I consistently. Mean, people were furious about Seventh Edition, which was basically doing that. Yeah, yeah. but um, I think Space Marines are easily fixed without a new codex. I think this Vigilus stuff is great for them. Yeah, right, because they just needed better stratagems, pretty much, and some points reductions because their stratagems were just boring as as all get out. Um, and I feel that that's the same for most of the power armor factions. Um, and then you get into, say, Blood Angels, which I think were a one-trick pony that was a little too strong, and they changed the whole game um, yeah. to fix that one trick, and now they don't have any tricks. Yeah. And I think that's the problem with Blood Angels, is they're like t- entirely based around this kind of deep strike, alpha strike, uh, jump pack shenanigans. And, and it was so strong that GW changed the entire game, and now I think they just need... They need a new look of some, like a couple new stratagems that aren't devoted to deep striking or to making their deep striking better than everybody else's. I guess would be the other way to do it. Yeah, yeah. You, um, and it really is something simple like like a mass red death that gives all of your assault marines a five up feel no pain for one turn or something. Yeah, or something. yeah, or they or maybe like a death company can uh, deep strike turn one. Or just, like well, that's not really good. <laughs> well, I'm I don't know. I'm just throwing yeah. stuff out there that to make them like because that's their shtick, right? It's like right. we're the best at this, so why like let's make them the best at it. Um, Space wolves, they need some point reductions for sure, um, but they also it's hard because I think their stratagems are actually pretty good. It's just mm-hmm. the bodies they put them on is the problem. Yeah. Um, they need well, what what space wolves need. Oh, go ahead, Sean. Oh, I was going to say to sort of like turn this very specific set of things into a broader one every faction needs a niche something that it does better than anyone else and right now there are several books that don't have that um yeah. gray knights are not the best psychers they are not the best anti-demon they're not the best anything uh, blood angels are not the best deep strikers they are not the best fast assaulters they're not the best anything um so those books need something unique, and it, it needs to be something, like, actually unique. Like, honestly, I don't see why Harlequins can't still pass over enemy models in the assault phase. It makes 100% sense that they should be able to. Flip belts mm-hmm. should allow them to do that, because that's how they're narratively described, and it would give them a unique feature that no other codex could access. That alone would help them out quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so I, th- I think we could probably go on longer than this, go but for another podcast, easily <laughs> for a whole another podcast. But um, a- anyways, thank you very much for your question, uh, Mr. Tim Dodd. Uh, that that's pretty much it for all the questions. Uh, if you want to ask us any more questions, like I mentioned before, join the Patreon, become a standard patron, and get access to our Facebook group on Facebook. Also, if you want to win that awesome Forge World exclusive con Sanguinius Primark model. Uh, I have it. It's sitting right now on the table next to me. It's absolutely gorgeous looking. It's unassembled. It's completely new in box. Uh, you can join the Patreon, become a standard patron, which is $5 a month. Uh, you have until the end of the week to subscribe, which is March 1st, which is when the new payment uh, period happens. Also, this deal is still going on. If you'd like to donate your patron uh, to Mr. Uh-huh. Peter the Falcon, we, we are, already have a lot of people donating to Mr. Peter, um, get him and his wife enough money for a really fancy Arctic dinner. Maybe they'll hire Polar Bear as a waiter. I don't know, but give him some of we that have monopoly one, money. We have one fancy restaurant, and it's the hotel restaurant, so it's okay. The, we, don't, we don't really need the, the, hotel the financial McDonald's. help to eat there. The Hotel McDonald's. 
that's an A and W. But but all all joking aside, um, I, I would like to because of his his monumental effort at the Las Vegas Open, uh, I, I would like to give back to Peter this month. Um, so I'm still dedicating anyone who wants to, um, donate their patron to Peter the Falcon. Just let me know. I, I will give it to him. I've already got plenty of people giving him lots of money to to his his um not demise dismay. dismay. Thank you. It's close. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> finally, you'll all get your comeuppance. Is the problem, but anyway. <laughs> finally, uh, I've got uh, a very cool announcement that I wanted to say for the end of the episode. For those of you who stuck around this long, uh, if you were aware of the fantasy. 40k team draft that happened at the Las Vegas Open. Uh, there were quite a few. It really kind of blew up at the Las Vegas Open. And if you're familiar with how fantasy sports work, fantasy football, fantasy baseball, uh, I am working very, very hard on a fantasy 40k deal. Uh, I'm not going to give too much into it, but um, look for announcements on FLG soon. I- I'm working with a ton of the biggest names in the community. I wish Val were here right now, but he had to dip early. It, it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited to bring it to you guys. Um, I think I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And it and is. Finally, just don't lose your house on it like oh, I did. Before you finally, Pablo, can I give a shout out real quick? Sure. Okay. Uh, so I gave a shout out a couple episodes back, maybe even last episode. I don't know where we're at anymore. Um, for the Morks Maritime Open happening mid-April in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada. I, uh, I'm going to give a second one now. So last time I spoke about one of the TOs, uh, Craig the Halfling. Um, <laughs> He was not happy that I that I discussed him in such a manner, but it, it is who he is. Um, I'm going to talk about the other one of the other tos now. Um, his name is Ryan Breed, and if you so if you're going to go to a tournament and you want to get free ITC points and have a great time at a, just an awesome place, like this is the place to go. But not only will you get to meet a real life Hobbit in Craig, you will get to meet an actual Viking because Ryan breed, I am a hundred percent positive is a space wolf. Um, <laughs> like he is a monster. He is terrifying to look at, but just the biggest ter- teddy bear in the world. I think he's an amateur boxer. Now it is terrifying. Uh, but what a great guy. These guys are putting a lot of effort into this uh, GT. So uh, get your tickets while you can. I believe they're all about, all, if they're not almost sold out they're they're on the verge. So if I go, can I braid his beard? Uh, he braids it himself sometimes. It all depends on if he's been boxing or not. Oh, I, um, I love. I don't know if you should. <laughs> I love that you didn't even have to clarify if he had a beard. We knew he had a beard already. Yeah. No, like, if you picture in your mind what a Viking that is also an amateur boxer and probably part of a motorcycle club is, um, and also a space wolf, that is him. That is it. <laughs> Whatever you have in your mind is him right now. <laughs> Just a large Norwegian. All right. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> uh, Sean, do you have any um, plugs you want to throw in? Uh, just my usual, you know, we got our latest episode of In the Finest Hour out with three fine ladies discussing the game and how it has been for them. So please listen to that. I think you'll find it a lot fun and very interesting. Uh, and then finally, go to FrontlineGaming.org for all your good goodies, secondhand shop stuff, paint commissions. Check out jeff robinson on in control tv go to 40kstats.com and bother peter all that more thank you guys for listening you guys are awesome and have a good one